In a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend, this is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. What defines deliciousness? Taste is tough to explain, isn't it? I would see ideas in dreams. My mind was bursting with ideas. I would wake up in the middle of the night. In dreams, I would have visions of sushi. Well, folks, it's time to talk about a movie that not only captures the beauty of sushi, but also takes You Are What You Eat to a whole new level. This week, we're delving into the exquisitely crafted and raw world of Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Let's get ready to roll. Greetings, lookers. Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. The podcast that's one part movie discussion, one part game show, where we never know what we're watching next. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Just look for that red hen icon. And welcome to the first episode of Series 12. That's right, we've officially got a longer run than Friends, and no need for a reunion special. There will be five episodes in this series, and the series theme is documentaries for which we've all secretly submitted one movie. Now, we all guess who submitted what movie in our Who Done It segment, and at the end of the series, the winner is awarded a Who Dundee trophy along with a bonus prize. This series bonus prize is a that's $50 gift card. And that's not all. Because you are the X Factor. Yes, there's also an audience choice selection somewhere in the mix. So please go on over to redheadmedia.com slash audience choice. Submit your pick, and we may watch and discuss your movie on this show. Again, that's redheadmedia.com slash audience choice. Now today... We'll be discussing Jiro Dreams of Sushi 2011, which is a documentary feature film currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And I'd like to welcome you to this very special episode. Whether you are a sushi lover, a movie buff, or someone who's been dreaming of a decent lunch while stuck in traffic, welcome back to our cinematic delicacy. Now remember, don't eat the screen. It's not that kind of 4D experience. 
Today, yes, we will be discussing Jiro Dreams of Sushi, a mouthwatering documentary that tells the tale of an 85-year-old sushi maestro who probably has more Michelin stars than I have clean socks. Based in a Tokyo subway station, his restaurant seats fewer people than a minivan, but dishes out some of the world's most coveted sushi. Prepare to witness a culinary ballet of precision, artistry, and an unfathomable dedication to raw fish that might just have you questioning your own work ethic. It did with me. Seriously, you'll look at your lunchtime sandwich and weep. So grab your chopsticks, folks, because we're diving deep into the art of sushi, one grain of rice at a time. And speaking of diving deep, I'm here today with my unconventional co-hosts. Now coming in hot like a dash of wasabi and as integral as the rice in my role are my trusty co-hosts. <laughs> Apparently they've been moonlighting as sushi apprentices behind my back. I mean, who knew this podcasting gig was just a fallback career for their dreams of becoming sushi masters? So let's dive in chopsticks first and catch up with them before our studio becomes indistinguishable from a bustling Tokyo fish market. Howdy, gang. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. So with us today, she's simultaneously credible and incredible, the anomaly, Cat California Roll Ramirez. <laughs> hey, y'all. Just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all, too. As always, grateful to be here. Really grateful to have you back, Kat. And with us is the provocative one, Mr. Devin Dragonroll Schwartz. That's one of my favorites. Jeez. And the game is on. Indeed it is. The sushi game. And it's very serious, apparently. And with us as well is my good friend, the incendiary James Tempura Crunch Pepe. <laughs> wow. I'm the crunchy <laughs> one, apparently. All right. Hello. Oh, yeah. It's me, James. Hey, James. You're always making noise. That's why <laughs> you got the crunch moniker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's good. It's a good thing. That's why you're the professor. Okay, guys. Why don't we start <laughs> off by checking today's headlines? Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Read all about it. All right. Let's start with Welcome Back, Cat. What did you find in the news today? What I found was a headline that read, Stern stares from a disappointed father, the Jiro dining experience. <laughs> yeah, that was my yeah. dining experience growing up. So <laughs> I felt right at home. <laughs> Very good. Well done. Okay, Mr. Devin Schwartz, uh, find anything interesting in the news today, my friend? Yeah, I found this written by, uh, sounds like an exasperated journalist somewhere. Uh, Jiro dreams of sushi in this economy? I'll be lucky if I can imagine sushi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody dreams anymore. <laughs> you know how much they charge yeah. per minute for those? Jeez. <laughs> okay, James Pepe, did you find anything interesting while perusing today's headlines? I, yes. So I, I dove deep into the uh i don't know what's an old i don't remember what they used to call the newspaper anyway in a newspaper found this in a real life <laughs> i don't newspaper. even know what that is man <laughs> this is a real headline that i really found from a real newspaper that i really have um 
I believe yeah, you, dude. So this, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so this 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 news story was about a rumored sequel to this documentary, and so the headline reads: "Rumor rumor of Jiro sequel called Eldest Son Dreams of Father's Death." Oh, wow! That's so dark. <laughs> Sounds like the show Succession, if you guys follow that at all. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, thank you for those uh, very funny headlines. Uh, that wraps up today's headlines. Um, but let's give this a little context um, by going to a segment that I like to call The Rundown. Hey, Jim, can I get a... Um... <laughs> Hi. Hi. I need a rundown of the clients. Can you get that to me? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh boy, our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown and Jim from the office just handed the dossier to Devin. So let's see what Devin has for us on Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Take it away, Devin. All right, yeah, Jiro Dreams of Sushi is a 2011 documentary feature film directed by David Gelb. Uh, who has done some other things in that same uh, avenue, like the street food series on um, Netflix, as well as Chef's Table on Netflix. So definitely into this kind of stuff. Uh, but also, breaking out of that, um, he's uh, he directed The Lazarus Effect, which was a horror movie with a oh. studded cast. That Olivia Wilde and Donald Glover and uh, Mark Duplass, a lot of, a lot of famous fam- famos in that one. Uh, and I like then, the Duplass Brothers. A, the, the famous yeah. he was a producer on uh obi-wan the the recent obi-wan show so yeah he gets around a little, huh. bit, a little more than just yeah a that's more cool documentary guy. um the story Respect. of the, the story of the documentary follows uh jiro ono a uh aged sushi chef uh who works out of a japanese subway as mentioned before um and uh is sort of just a meditation on his work ethic and relationship with his sons um that uh and is, is like the, with a real theme of bettering oneself and uh self-improvement and self um you know satisfaction in your your work basically a concept uh, that is absolutely completely lost on me yeah uh a the rating on imdb is 7.8 which is fairly high for imdb but lower than i expected um the rotten tomato scores because because the rotten tomato scores which are 99% on the tomatometer tomat- and uh, 91 from the audience. So, like, pretty pretty well-liked overall. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Somebody doesn't like fish or sushi and just couldn't hack it here over in America. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, 99%, I'll buy that. Uh, and, yeah, that's it for the rundown. Now let's uh, move on to a little second segment. All right, on today's Rundown Recreation, we have a little game I like to call Shi or Nise, otherwise known as True or False. Uh, nice. These might not be wow. perfect translations in case we have any Japanese listeners. Uh, <laughs> these are just monosyllabic <laughs> translations of these two words. There's like longer words that are probably more accurately true and false, but these like, they're, they're, they're short and they work. Uh, so um, for, for you guys playing, uh, just remember Nise is no, Nise is false, so like, and false, like that's how you remember Shin and Nisei. Um, so okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, get ready to lock in your answers as we go to our first question. Shin or Nisei, 
You must always eat sushi with a chopstick so as not to sully the flavor with your hands. Ben is locked in. Ben is locked in. Cat forgot which one is which already. <laughs> Cat is locked in. All right. Reveal your answers. Ben has said Shin, meaning true. Pepe has said Nisei, meaning false. And Kat agrees with Ben that it is Shin. The answer to this is Nisei. You may eat them yeah. with your hands Pepe or chopsticks. Pepe knows. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm never going to eat it with my hands, so there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to question number two. Clear your answers, please. Shin or Nisei. All of Jiro Ono's nigiri is served with soy sauce, wasabi, and ginger. Jeez. Whoops. Ben and Pepe have locked in. Cat is locked in. Be your answer. Ben says Nisei. Cat says Nisei. Pepe says Nisei. The answer is Shin. A little tricky. This one's a little oh, tricky. No, I swear I saw Giro, it without that. Jiro so. brushes a piece of uh, a bit of wasabi under each piece of fish, which is a classical preparation, and then brushes the top with soy sauce, and there's always ginger on the plate. So all three are present with all nigiri. Oh, That's uh, what he was brushing on. Or, yeah, he brushes oh, on soy nice sauce. Detail. And, uh, the, the wasabi is tucked under. You don't even see it at any point, but it's there. Oh, Good. Well, at least I'm learning. Uh, yeah, so Pepe's ahead with one so far, right? Pepe I didn't think of the I didn't think of the ginger on the plate. That's clever. Okay, I knew yeah. about the soy sauce and the wasabi. But... Wasabi. Another fun fact: wasabi was originally uh, uh, devised not as a flavoring but as a disinfectant because fish was uh, often not very fresh <laughs> and could be dangerous. And there's a property in wasabi that kills bacteria, um, so it was used as. Well, I love the heat. George yeah. loves his sushi hot, so. <laughs> Question number three, Shin or Nisei, new sushi apprentices are said by Jiro to take 10 years to master the grilled egg. Oh. Ben and Pepe have locked in, Kat is locked in. Reveal your answers. Kat says Shin, Pepe says Nisei, Ben says Shin, Ben and Kat have it. He says no. egg, it takes 10 years to master the grilled egg. No, no, he oh, says you, we tied you it up, Cat. He, he says you apprentice for 10 years and then they let you start cooking the egg. Get your facts uh, straight. Man. I don't know. I think, I think Ben and Ben and Cat clearly agree, so you're the odd one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Write, write the show for wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw that specifically. But um, now I'm now I'm curious. The point stand as is, we if we have to do a retraction next show, that gives me retraction yeah, fodder. Get ready to retract. Yeah. All right, okay. All right. The, uh, <laughs> My hand's hovering this. over the retraction button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for now, we're tied up, baby. All right. Getting a, a little tougher here, I think. Shin or Nisei. Oh, Cap, please clear your answer. Shin or Nisei. Jiro earned three Michelin stars the first time he served sushi to the Michelin judges in 2007. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again, Devin? Yes, Jiro earned three Michelin stars the first time he served sushi to the Michelin judges in 2007. 
Cat is locked in. I feel like this could be a trick question. Mm. Well, all right. Six seconds to decide. All right, all right, all right. Whatever. <laughs> Six seconds. All right. All right, everyone's <laughs> locked in. <laughs> Reveal your answer. We have Ben with Nisei, Cat with Shin, and Pepe with Shin. The answer is Nisei. When the Michelin stars first tasted Jiro Sushi in 2007, it was his son who served. That's right. Not Jiro. So his, his son, son cooked it for him. It was yeah. a trick question, Pepe. See, I knew that. You, okay. were, you were right. Your instincts were right. I knew it was a trick question, but I wasn't saying nothing. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So, I take uh, the lead. You do indeed. Um, this has never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, Shin or Nisei. Perfect sushi should be served with rice that is room temperature and fish that is body temperature. Ben and Pepe have locked in. Cat is locked in. Reveal your hands. says Nisei. Cat says Nisei. Pepe says Nisei. That is correct. Those should be reversed. Yeah, the rice should be body temperature. The fish should be room temperature. Very good. Very good. Point for all. All right. Into the nitty gritty of sushi preparation. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, Getting hungry. Right. The final question. Shin or Nisei. Tuna is typically served in three varieties. White fat, yellow fat, and lean. Ben is locked in. Cat is locked in. Everyone's locked in. What is this All right. Cat and Pepe have said Nisei. Ben has said Shin. The answer is Nisei. Those are lean, medium, and fatty. Yeah. Um, All right. We're tied it up. From are from brisket. You can get uh, pho uh, with brisket that has white fat or yellow. Oh, no. Oh, uh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Tricky, tricky, Devin. Well done. Right, so that was the last do question. Do you have a tiebreaker for us, Devin? Do you have a tiebreaker? Uh, I do not. I do not. I like the uh, world tie. I have. Um, I have given Cat two bonus points to catch her up since she didn't get anything carried over from last season. Uh, to, remind yep. listeners, oh, okay. to remind listeners, I had three points carrying over, Pepe had two, and Ben had two, so I matched her up with you two, so she had two points Makes to start sense. with. Makes sense. Okay. Which all right. puts the final scores here at me with three, and then all of you tied at five. Well, all right. Soon to be me in the lead, because I got that one question right. <laughs> Next week, I'll get my druther. We shall see. All right. Thank you, Devin, for that excellent rundown and that excellent rundown recreation. Shin and Nisei, that was one of my favorites. I really enjoyed that. And now I'm starving. So uh, that's good. We'll just oh, we'll just barrel on, though. Why don't we uh, follow movie that? It was brutal. Maybe right? Yeah, so I really bad. did want to. Oh, my God. There you know what? Probably I isn't, probably isn't real sushi within like 100 miles of me. Never get sushi in a landlocked state. No, <laughs> never. Don't go for that it. That, too. What I was going to say is I what I realized while watching this movie, and I, I should probably repeat this later, is that I I came to the realization that I probably have never tasted really, truly great sushi in my life. Like, I haven't yeah, done it yet. Right. Yeah. This made, so, this made me want to go to Japan. I'll, like, just, just go to this oh, restaurant. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I know. I bet it's, like, super popular. Um, all right. Well, that was an excellent 
uh, rundown recreation. So why don't we follow up playing our game by playing another game that actually determines who's going to win that $50 gift card at the end of the series in a segment called Who Done It? We've reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of this series will win a Who Dundee trophy. Our current suspects include myself, Ben Mitchell, Devin Schwartz, James Pepe, or could be audience choice. So, uh, winner of the previous uh, series usually has to guess first. But since Jordan isn't joining us for this series, I will guess first as the host. So um, I would guess myself, except I'm, first I'm not allowed. First I'm not allowed uh, because I do love sushi and cooking uh, very much. Sushi is uh, one of my favorite foods. It's definitely top three, if not number one. Um, but since I can't guess myself and because it was subtitled and I rarely, if ever, will submit a subtitled film, I am forced to therefore guess Devin because Devin uh, loves Japan and wants to move there and teach. So that's my clue. That's my instinct. I'm going to go with Devin for this one. Kat, who do you suspect? Who are you going to guess? So I was pretty adamant, like, this has Devin Rint all over it. I'm like, it's in Japan. It's a pretentious documentary about food. Like, if this, <laughs> if this isn't Devin, if this isn't Devin, I was, good, I was going to say I owe him sushi if this is not his submission. But then he threw me a curveball because I texted him earlier to help me with the headline. And he said that he hadn't watched the movie yet. And I don't know if that was an intentional curveball to mislead me from oh, yeah, thinking definitely. it's him or he honestly has not seen this movie yet. So I'm really like, yeah, I don't, I don't know anymore, but I'm still going to say Devin. Go on the instincts. Okay. We'll see where that gets you. Let's see what cockamamie shit Devin says. Devin, it couldn't possibly, yeah, it couldn't possibly be Devin. Um, so who yes, do you think fools. done it, Devin? Fools. Um, <laughs> I, I was really going back and forth between Ben and Pepe on this one, which I guess basically just means I don't think it was the audience. Um, but uh, I, I could see this appealing to Pepe, uh, specifically the like artistry of it, the way that uh, it is. It is almost philosophical in a sense. Like there's like a philosophy to this film about perfection Certainly. and murdering oneself. Um, I don't know if that's particularly Pepe's brand of philosophy, but uh, I could see it appealing to him. And Ben, of course, I mean, like I said, the the whole theme of perfecting your craft and uh, attention to detail. Yeah, it is like it is totally up your alley. And that is why I think I'm going to go with you on this one. I think it matches you a little more than, than Pepe. Yeah. OK, um, well, let's see if that pans out for you or not. Um, very well could be me. I do love to cook, uh, but. It isn't me. So, James, <laughs> who, who is it if it's not me? Oh, man. If, this has got to be Devin's. This has got to be. Well, okay. So, the biggest hint that this is Devin's movie, sub 90 minute runtime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. 
I love that right. reasoning. Oh, That's my favorite yeah. reasoning ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if this, like, I don't know, guessing anyone else uh, other than Devin would be would be foolish. Um, if this isn't Devin's movie, I will uh, make a nice some nice sushi out of my hat and I will eat it. <laughs> hat sushi. Um, yeah. Served at uh, room temperature. <laughs> I'll wear I'll wear the hat for a little while so it comes to body temperature and then oh, okay yeah no wait that's the wrong way that's a, that's a good way to get yourself anyway. sick my friend <laughs> never eat <laughs> yeah. never eat a hat at body temperature that's the, the key <laughs> culinary rule right there whenever I make rice I just put some under my armpits to bring it to temp body temperature mm -hmm. and then then I eat well it. yeah as one does yeah I, um, how else are you gonna do it? <laughs> I don't know I don't know another there is no other way. No, there's no other way. No, there is no other way to do it. Um, no. I really sincerely hope it's an audience choice at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's <laughs> that would be so now, rad but... if it was. They're going to get their first All point. Right. Alex and Pepe won't, won't branch out. Well, that's the other thing. I could I could go... I've done that in the past, though, and I've always got burned when I play, when I play the... You love getting burned. The odds. <laughs> I haven't won in so long, guys. I'm so I'm so I'm so sad for not winning. <laughs> okay, season five. So are we all locked in then. In the, Does anyone yeah, want to yeah, change okay. before we do our reveals? Are we locked in? No, Devin. Oh, Devin. All right, everyone's locked in. So Devin, with three votes, it is up to you first to reveal whether it is you or whether it is somebody else. Devin, did you done it? This was unfortunately my movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Instincts prevail. Man. Okay, here's your sound drop. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll all co-host make sure. Is, we do. We this, got this number one. The, this was the like a like a me submission movie equivalent. Like <laughs> everybody, everybody was. This was so on the nose for you. Yeah. Yeah. More than yeah. more than oh I yeah, have absolutely. My last couple have all yeah. been at least somewhat curveballs. Yeah, um, may I say yeah. I'm glad you chose it though. Um, everyone, update your scores uh, to reflect these scores. Oh, yeah, uh, I will say briefly while you guys update your scores. This is the uh, second second season in a row, but the third in like recent memory that mine has been picked first. I, I like seem to be the first more. I think I've been the, the second first more season in a row. Yeah, it was it was James has been season. a lot too. That's true, yeah. Our first two seasons were both me. I've uh, been last more than anyone, I know that. Yeah, what's up with that? You put your thumb on the scale. I don't know. Shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to go last. Did you remember like in school when you do a presentation? You don't want to sit there roiling in your nervousness all class waiting to be called. <laughs> like true. that's the worst, dude. I always wanted to go first. But uh yeah, so same with this. Okay, so co-host, we all made sure our scores are accurate. Uh, looks like it's a three-way tie so far between myself, Ben, Kat, and James. And um, had Devin fooled us, he would have uh, gotten a point, but yeah. um, we, we knew it was his this time. And I'm glad you chose it. Um, that said, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, though, Devin, because you have some splaining to do. We want to know all the reasons yeah, you chose it. So here comes your sound drop, and we'll get to some splaining. Okay. 
So uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you and Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Why did you choose it? Um, and tell us like when you first saw it and how your viewing was this time in your 20,000 feet. Yeah, so I first saw this uh, movie in a class, I believe... I really it was either my like senior year of high school in like a history class or it was my freshman year of college in a Eastern philosophy class. And I'm leaning toward it being in the philosophy class because I believe it was like the final unit we were talking about, like modern Eastern philosophy. And I think that's when he showed it as like an example of like where it's gone since like ancient tradition and things like that. Interesting. Um, so Pepe, because are you going to show yeah. it in your philosophy class now? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, no. Well, I, I've done, I've done hard, I've done very little Eastern philosophy, so I don't know much about it. So, no. Yeah, <laughs> just reminded me of that. Okay, good to know. Continue, Devin. Uh, but yeah, it really struck a chord with me. In fact, it is uh, what I credit as the reason I want, like one of one of the pillar reasons I want to go to Japan. It was like the uh, oh. film that, that made me really fall in love with Japan more than anything else. This and like Spirited Away, I think between the two of them is like what made me so interested in that culture and uh, like Japan as a, as a place um, and uh, really kicked that off. Uh, so yeah, it's like always been something I've just known that I love and haven't watched it since then. I've only seen it that one time in class. So wanted an excuse to rewatch it, wanted to share it with some people. And uh, I think it's a really special movie, obviously, since I forced this category to exist just so I could talk about this movie. So I'm excited. Ah, that's why you chose it. Yeah, this was your champion's choice. Um, this is the second season in a row, right? For that? Yeah, since we've introduced it, it has been yeah, yeah. every season. That's good. Yeah, so good. for those that don't know, the winner of the series, the next time gets to choose a category that bumps up when we roll the dice for our categories. And since we've implemented it both times, the chip choice has been chosen. Yeah. So yeah, eventually Even that can't prevail. To, but to win. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll go next. Um, I never heard of this movie before. Wow. Uh, in fact, oh, really? I, yeah, right. Yeah. I, in fact, I watched that documentary now. <laughs> Um, send up of this <laughs> a few weeks ago. Uh, oh, wow. Incidentally, uh, yeah, just uh, per chance. Was referencing? No, I had no idea what it was referencing. Absolutely loved it. It was called Juan Likes Chi uh, Rice and Chicken. Juan Likes Rice and Chicken. It's season two, episode two of Documentary Now on Netflix, which is just a a parody show of famous documentaries. And so, so uh, after I threw this movie on last night to prep for the show. I'm sitting there watching and I was like, man, I know I haven't seen this, but it feels like I've seen this before. <laughs> and then eventually the 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 sushi dropped or the penny dropped or whatever. And I realized yeah. what it was. And I, I immediately scrambled onto our Discord channels like everyone. I want you to watch a uh, documentary now because I just realized that this is a send up. So um, it was really uh, delightful. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was hungry. I want. I also have another reason to go to Japan now and go to the little uh, subway stop sushi place that has three Michelin stars. Um, so yeah, it was a great, great film for me and a great way to kick off our documentary themed series. Um, so let me pass the torch over to Kat. Had you heard of this? Had you seen it before? How was your viewing? Give us a brief twenty thousand feet. 
Yeah, I've I've definitely heard of this. Um, my stepsister loves this documentary. Told me about it like years ago, but I never okay. watched it. And I actually thought it was a like a film, like not not a documentary film, but just a fiction film. Um, yeah. So so I was actually surprised that it was a documentary, and that was it was really cool. Um, obviously to finally watch it for this for our podcast. So yeah. Good. The podcast is working. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> created for this reason. Does Excellent. So you yeah, enjoyed right. it overall? It's kind of more in the enjoyment category. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. But the, cool. the watching the documentary now afterwards, like I watched it right after I watched uh, the uh-huh, film uh-huh. was okay. hilarious. And I'm glad that it got like oh, a lot of the point. I got a lot of the points that I felt about the documentary. So, you know, obviously it's a parody, but like, yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, my favorite part was the splitting the bananas because the guy was like, <laughs> had talked about, you know, pre- prepping and how the first time he got it right, he like did the arm pump and uh, the mm-hmm. actor who split the bananas <laughs> said he cried, but he cried so hard that he was sent home because it was actually disturbing the guests. <laughs> so, so many things in that in that parody were like spot on and everything. But like, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, I do have some talking points for that as well later. But James Pepe, I'm very curious if you'd seen this before, uh, heard of it. Uh, how'd your viewings go? If it was more than one? Yeah, I think um, I'm pretty sure this was the second time I've seen this movie. Um, okay. I think I watched it the first time when it had first come out, or close to when it had first come out in 2011. Um, I don't think I'd seen it between then and now, though. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd seen this movie before. It's been um, a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and uh it's it's it was good, you know. Um I mean, I don't it didn't I mean it it, did, it didn't blow my socks off or anything. Wasn't Michelin star good for you? <laughs> right, yeah. Um but it has some interesting stuff in it and I'm excited to talk about it, so yeah. All right, well, let's dive right in. Well, let's start with you then. Um, I, I had a very positive viewing of it. If you if you want to kick us off by uh, anything on your plate that didn't uh, work for you. Oh, um, well, no, I mean, I, I think it was, I think, I mean, like, the things that I had, the, the like this, okay, I'll, I'll say this. This question, this, this documentary left me with two questions. Okay. Um, the first one was like, does this documentary have a point of view? Um, because I think oftentimes documentaries do have a point of view. And this one seemed to maybe not have one. It was just kind of pretty, was kind of neutral. Um, and I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was um, just sort of like more about the, so uh, Jiro's, you know, in, in the movie sort of expressed this sort of like idea that I feel like a lot of people like my, like my dad definitely probably like has this idea, which is like, uh, it was shitty for me. So it has to be shitty for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yes. Uh, yeah. And so that was, that's like a, I think that's like a generational thing. And that was the sort of, I'm, I was, I was surprised to see it outside of America. Um, yeah. So I was, that was the other thing that was, I was interested in talking about. 
Yeah. Are you talking? Go ahead, Devin. Go ahead. I was going to say, I wanted wanted to speak to that sort of uh, reading of this, which I I did not recall the sort of what I would describe as pro-capitalist messaging of of Zero specifically in this movie, um, which was not something that I remembered as being an element of this. And uh, this kind of idea that like you have to completely submit yourself to your work if you want it to be perfect. And like it has to become a part of you and like uh, be completely like, you you know, this this like kind of over zealous uh sort of dedication to one's job which i think works as a very beautiful message when it's a a craft but then that same messaging Mm -hmm, is also mm -hmm. then used to like you know if you're a cashier at a safeway you have to be dedicated to your job and love it and have respect for it and like act like it's your entire identity um which you know when when that messaging is provided pointed towards a job like that it is uh more detrimental and and usually wielded as a cudgel as we like to say Um, excellent point but uh, yeah, so that on my first watching, that, none of that sort of picked up. And on this watching, it was more interesting to see, so to like read it that way. Um, and I, I feel like I had another thing to say that's escaped me now. But uh, yeah, I, I did find it interesting that I, I got a totally different message from the the film as a whole this time watch. Well, I'll jump in then. Um, on the train, he was talking about how he went back to his elementary school and he was like a bad student. And um, we're to, I'm talking, I'm speaking to your point about uh, messaging and point of view, Pepe. And it kind of reminded me of that because even Jiro couldn't like land on a point of view on whether or not he should tell kids to study hard or yeah, that right. it's okay if they were bad kids. Because he's like, well, <laughs> like I was a bad kid and I turned my life around. But if I tell them it's okay to be bad kids, then it's going to like, you know, encourage them to be bad. So like he couldn't even come up with it. He was just kind of laughing about it. So. It kind of reminded me of your question. Um, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. I, I recall the other, the other element I was going to mention. Um, Great. Was that uh, it's it's a very like interesting dichotomy to how a lot of families in Singapore um, feel about their like family businesses. I remember watching, I want to say it was the Somebody Feed Phil uh, episode that took place in Singapore. That's a really good travel cooking show with uh, Phil... God, I don't remember, Phil Rosenthal, the guy who wrote uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, he uh, he did, has a travel show. But um, it, one of these travel shows went to Singapore, and a lot of there's a lot of family business there. There's a huge restaurant culture there. There's like these huge open cafeterias with just like tons of food stalls. So there's like more restaurants per capita than anything else in Singapore. And there's this very common sentiment they found among the the older generation that run these restaurants of like forcing their children to leave Singapore and go and get a career and get a degree and do something better with their lives. Like all of them basically hate their job and want oh, it best for their kids. Yeah. Like was like forcing, like you need to go get a better career. You can't work in this restaurant. And in many cases, those children still wound up returning to their parents' restaurants and still wound up working there. And they'd be like, yeah, I have a, like a neurosurgery degree, but I'm making ramen because my dad was getting really old and I didn't want the restaurant to close down because it meant a lot to me. Aww. And like they all, a lot of them chose to come back home and, and still choose that career. Uh, but as a choice, instead of being forced because their parents gave them the freedom and really pushed them to do something better. You can't or, get you know, that ramen anywhere else better. either. So yeah, exactly. It's not going to be as good. Ramen. Isn't Singapore the place where if you spit gum on the ground, they cane you or something? <laughs> yeah. Probably. I mean, that, that's how it is. In that's Japan the one too. thing Later, I know about Singapore. You, Very you clean streets there, apparently. They'll, yeah, they'll <laughs> castrate you. 
That's a fact. <laughs> if, if, if we're somehow wrong, email the show at ben at redheadmedia.com. Yeah. Just yell at Devin on that one. Japan, email us, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Defend yourself. Looking for a correction there. We'll do a retraction if need be. <laughs> um, yeah, Japan's just... going to retract us. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. Look out. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the thing, one of the things that jumped out, my first note was, um, it's from the fish market and he's choosing the, uh, I think it's when his dad is sick, he's out and, the and the son goes into the fish market the first time and he's tr looking to buy some octopus. And, um, you know, he's how oh, the color doesn't matter. It's all about the taste. And, you know, I'm looking, okay, yeah, there's some oct octopi or whatever you call them in, in plural. Uh, and he chooses one. And then, dear God, I didn't know it was still alive. This guy grabs the octopus to bag it up. And this thing just wraps up on this guy's arm. And this just like kind of, I don't want to say grotesque, but it like, it affected <laughs> me. Uh, it made me uncomfortable on many levels. I just wasn't anticipating that. And suddenly it was this like horror element that happened. Um, and it, it reminded me that like, it was frightening. We, yeah, the seafood has to be fresh, but it's just like, ah, there's this element of just like, where I kind of felt empathy for all the like seafood that was like living that we have to eat. But it's so There's delicious. I don't know. Where he, he like takes that tiny fish and nails it to the cutting board. And oh, it zooms yeah. Yeah. Its face yeah. and it's like still alive while he's nailing it to the cutting board. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, I even looked up. I was like, is there a reason why you, they have to skin this fish alive? Like, does it make it taste better or something? And I'm like, no, it's just, they just, they just <laughs> it's do it. Just it's possible. Just, it's they just, just don't care. Yeah. yeah tradition. Yeah, maybe one of the things that would keep me from being a chef if I had to do that kind of stuff. I just there's there's certain elements of the medical field that for just my personality that mean that I cannot work in the medical field, okay? I just wouldn't be able to separate that and I would take it all home with me. Um so maybe there too. I've I've done a lot of cooking. I enjoy cooking, but I've I don't know that I've ever killed anything to cook like live right there. Have you guys I know some of us have, have cooked quite a bit too. Uh, when I was younger, I actually we I lived briefly very close to a creek that had uh, crawfish in it, and we did yeah. used to catch crawfish and boil them live. Uh, and I've also boiled live crab. You know, gotten live crab from the store and, and boiled them live. Um, so well, once or twice, but only. I feel with, like I uh, may uh, have done that, but I don't have memory of it. Or a crustacean. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, just the crustaceans. That would be the only thing, like a lobster or a crab. So no on you and in cat as well. Pepe, cat's shaking her head. No, think I, I don't think I. I mean, I've gone fishing before and eventually eaten the fish that I caught. But oh yeah, I did bat a fish over the head one time and cook it up at scout camp. Yeah, that was the thing. Did you go to camp? You were a scout, right, Pepe? I was. Where did you go to Camp Navarro as well in here in California? Oh yeah, 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 camp fellow camper. Yeah, right on, man. All right. Yeah, that's where I went fishing. They stock, apparently. I thought I was a good fisherman or whatever. They stock, <laughs> they stock that river <laughs> with the trout. So <laughs> we thought we thought we were pretty badass pulling a bunch of, of trout in yeah, and right. clubbing them and <laughs> wrapping them up in the it just so happened there was like um herbs growing wild, I'm scare quoting <laughs> around the area that we could wrap it in and cook it over a fire. Yeah. So that doesn't happen in nature. But it was a fun, like, kind of like semi camping experience where I was at the time convinced that I I could like go into nature and survive in the wilderness. <laughs> so yeah, I got right. my money's worth on that week. It was good. All right. So moving on. Um, 
So let's talk about a little filmic qualities. And if you guys have something you want to bring up, uh, feel free to, to stop me and throw it in. Um, but um, I didn't notice this while watching, but I did read a couple of reviews and some people did mention that there's sort of a minimalist approach to the look of this film, um, which kind of, it focuses on Jiro, of course, his sushi in the restaurant. And so the cinematography kind of, uh, and I, I kind of in retrospect agree with this, the cinematography, um, the way the film uses like close-ups to showcase the sushi artistry, um, it just kind of, there's this attention to detail and simplicity to it that kind of mirrors Jira's approach to sushi making. Did any of you notice that? Anything stand out as far as the cinematography or things that you liked? Um, one of the things I didn't like, or I, I just was kind of like, I thought it was repetitive how many like close-up shots they had of the sushi. Now, granted, mm-hmm. there was there was uh, a sequence where it was showing like all the different types of sushi and they had the names and everything. And it was in context to what they were talking about. That made mm-hmm. sense why it was repetitive. But I think throughout, there was a lot of repetitive shots that kind of got, I don't know, boring or just it wasn't, you know, versatile as I, I, as I would have liked it to be. But mm-hmm. now that you're mentioning the correlation between like, the simplicity of the cinematography, I'm thinking of the simplicity of his meals and if that was done intentionally. And of course, repetition, like literally doing the same thing every single day as a chef was also why they had these repetitive shots. Yeah, so meta, right? I think it's possible, uh, the more cynical approach, I guess, is it's possible they had a lot of B-roll of shots of sushi and they turned in an hour-long documentary, a beautiful hour-long documentary, and someone said, hey, if you make it 20 more minutes, it counts as a feature, and we can sell it for more. And they're like, all right. And they added 20 minutes of shots of sushi to it. To okay, it since, Jim, since, Jim's not, approach, but. since Jim's not here, I'm going to voice, uh, I'm going to do a Jim pick. Devin, no! <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the I'm dark side. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll no, go um, with the uh, I'll go with the thing that it mirrors it, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to mention that, yeah, it does seem like it's focusing on his like intense it, or it's it is displaying his intense focus on his work. Um also like this this documentary more than many others doesn't really provide a lot of context. Like we never see Jiro's house. We don't know where he lives. Uh we don't see really any of this subway station that the sushi place is. It's just like it's yeah. in the subway station, we just... but it's like it, it's very singularly focused on like this this one setting plus the fish market, which we occasionally go to, yep. um, but it's like it is so focused on what that's is the world here. One exactly. scene takes and place on a train. I think that's yeah, it. Yeah, briefly, yeah. Uh, so it's like very close. I think it also sort of invented um, like a genre, especially in other work by uh, David Gelb. Like Chef's Table is all shot mm-hmm. like this with the slow mo shots of the people's hands working on the food, um, and we see another. There's a there's another series on Netflix that I cannot remember the name of right now, but it is a Japanese produced uh, thing all about various Asian cuisines where it's all just like close-ups of people cooking and then like the name of a dish at the end, just like the way they serve the sushi and they put the name, like it looks exactly like that um, and is very clearly inspired uh, by this. So I yeah, may have seen that as well, but I also don't recall the name, unfortunately. It's like taste of something, I can't remember. Yeah, something. Is it's, it the one where they... Too- do different restaurants in, in Japan specifically or different areas? Uh, There's no, a few cooking be, shows. Yeah, it's like different regions of either Japan or, or China. Oh, it, it may be in oh, China. Okay. okay, the one I'm thinking of is Japan. 
Kat, you had something. This film, yeah, it did remind me of the shots. I don't know if you guys have seen the Apple TV series, The Servant, um, but there's some really like super cool shots of food in that show that it's not really clear what the purpose of it is in the storyline, <laughs> but it's it's like grotesque and like kind of like uneasy. So some of the shots, like, mm. when especially when we're talking about like the live fish and everything, yeah. it reminded me of that show. And I was like wondering, I was like, I wonder if they got inspired by this documentary because this documentary obviously came out before the show did. Um, but yeah, you guys should definitely check out that show just for those shots if, if that interests you. The Servant on Apple TV. What's the, yeah. so what's the setup on The Servant? It's essentially about like um, this nanny that a family hires to take care of their their newborn baby, but essentially the mother, um, shoot, I'm not trying to give out the plot, but essentially the child isn't real. It's it it's like a fake baby. Oh, doll. fascinating! Okay. But the mother oh, thinks. Okay. Wow, that the does mother sound thinks it's real. Intriguing. Yeah, so okay. It's yeah, it's very like kind of sinister-y, culty feelings to it. Um, so, you know, if you get scared, I might suspense time, or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is really cool. Right on. And grotesque food. All right. I'm in. Sign me up. The Servant on Apple TV. Cool. Uh, the, well, we're still talking about other shows. The show I was thinking of is called Flavorful Origins. It is Chinese. Okay. Cuisine. I have not each, seen it. Each season focuses on a different region or province of China. There's one on the Chaoshan region, one on the Yunnan, and one on Gansu. And then each episode is one ingredient. Or like kind of a dish, but usually it's like a tip, like one ingredient, like olives, and it'll just be a whole episode about olives and how they're prepared in that region. Uh, it's really cool. They're all like ten minute long I... episodes. They're all just like people working and making these like in intricate dishes. It's really beautiful. It's very, I'll uh, check it out. Med meditative. What's Someone the name one more time? Flavorful origins. Flavorful origins. I don't necessarily. I don't typically associate olives with China. That's interesting that there's an. Yeah, there's a lot of olives. stuff that shows up on that show where I'm like, huh, I, I would not have thought of that as a Chinese ingredient. So yeah, like that, Greece, that yes, or you know the Mediterranean. Interesting. Okay, I'll check yeah. it out. Flavorful origins, man. Yeah, this all this talk's making me hungry. Okay, <laughs> um, so moving on, I, we kind of Peppy, you kind of touched on this, so maybe we're kind of circling back in a way. But, um, you know, the film presents Chiro's life story and work ethic is kind of like one of the focuses of the of the plot of the documentary. Um, so how do you guys feel about this whole like pursuit of perfection? And Devin, you kind of spoke on this a little bit, too. Like, you know, maybe it does work well in a craft, but it's like going overboard in other areas. But I, I tend to kind of naturally do that. Uh, myself, you guys know I, I'm pretty detail-oriented in this stuff and it drives me crazy if any one thing is wrong. Um, so, like, is that something that speaks to you guys in your own lives? Um, do you do you thrive on chaos? Like, how did that uh, land with you guys? Yeah, I mean, oops, I got um, Well, kind of touch back to what you guys were talking about in regards to the philosophy and to touch back to what you're saying right now, Ben. Um, that this idea of like perfectionism is really interesting when given the context that Japan's one of like the main religions there is, you know, to be a Buddhist. And the idea with the Buddhist belief is to be content with nothingness and like kind of content with where yeah. you're at and not striving to be better. Whereas obviously Jiro's belief is you have to constantly 
be improving. You can't be content with what you have. So there's such a, and I know there's like one scene about like in, in the Buddhist temple, I believe, uh, right? Like it was pretty quick, but um, yeah, or taps or whatever. You're not supposed yeah, to do that. Yeah, um, which I don't know if that implies that that's their beliefs or not, but I found that that was pretty interesting. That the message between that religious belief versus, you know, what Jiro was saying contradicted itself. Um, yeah, it did seem contrary think, if that's the case. Yeah, and I also think that um, just in general, and maybe this is part of one of the reasons I, one of the negative things I have or the perception I have of this film is I think we often like in general, especially with older generations, tend to be like, you know, as long as you're being the best at what you do, everything else in your life doesn't matter. Like, mm -hmm. you know, as long as you have fame and like you are going to be known after you die, it doesn't matter if your well, your mental well, you know, uh, health or well-being overall is, you know, not not doing great at the expense of that. And I think that's just a bad message overall. And I'm glad that mm -hmm. we're kind of going away from that in mm -hmm. general. Yeah. yeah, when asked about work-life balance, Jiro's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, opening, yeah. the opening monologue, what he says in it is, uh, once you decide on your occupation, you must immerse yourself in your work. You have to fall in love with your work. Never complain about your job. You must dedicate your life to mastering your skill. That's the secret of success and is the key to being regarded honorably. Which, again, if you're saying that as an artist, that's a beautiful sentiment. If you're saying that to a like fast food worker, that then you're an asshole. <laughs> like that, it's like yeah, you're yeah. basically telling them to be a wage slave. Uh, and it's like yeah, it's a very it's like a an interesting message for the movie, uh, if that is the message of it, of it to take. And uh, that in that it has those two meanings. As someone in the arts, um, you know, drawing, music, filmmaking, etc., podcasting now. Um, it really spoke to me and I didn't question it until we sort of got into this conversation. And yeah, it really should only apply to specific fields. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, maybe outside of art, there's other fields of craft or, um, but I mean, geez, you know, if, if it's a field that you someday want to retire from, I would say no, but artists tend to do art until they die. And that's because it's yeah. one of those, uh, more rare, I'd say probably. Correct me if you have a, another example, but uh, it's one of those rare things uh, in that regard. And I think probably if it's a, a job you're doing that you would like to stop doing at some point, um, then maybe think twice about following that advice. But I yeah. think especially with artists, like I'm, what I'm thinking about, like the whole idea of as long as you're good at your craft, then fuck, or excuse me, then the rest of the matters. Curse. Oh, we can't. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be on the show if I I'd be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, like because I think there's a lot of artists that like who struggle with addiction or mental health and stuff like that. And we're like, well, as long as you're producing that art, as long as you're good at that craft, we don't doesn't matter. It may be perhaps because you're addicted and because you're mentally unwell, that's why you're able to be a genius or an artist. And I I just think that's a mm -hmm. that's a problematic messaging uh, for anyone. Even within the art with, field. Yeah. Within even within the art field, yeah. because I think life life is meant to be balanced and that mm -hmm. it's healthy to have balance in your life. Yep.
Yeah, I guess I was to, to clarify, I was more speaking towards the part of the philosophy where you're always looking to improve and you're never like that journey is never over. Like even in his 80s, he's still working to improve. Um, as far as like work-life balance, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah, I do think the other sort of um, message of the film, if you want to like read it in a different way, is sort of uh, it like basically the, the, this documentary makes the assertion that this man makes perfect sushi, which is like a crazy assertion to like, just call any subjective craft. Perfect is like, that's a crazy mm -hmm. thing to say. Like this mm -hmm. is perfect. And then it spends the next 80 minutes proving that maybe he actually makes the perfect sushi. Like he might actually have achieved perfection because like the more you watch, the more you see that, you know, he gets, he's like, he gets this rice, his rice from this one guy. And he's the only mm -hmm. one who gets the rice from that guy. And it's like, and he has this guy who gets tuna, who finds his tuna in a way that no one else does. And it's like, mm -hmm. there are so many unique elements that only exist in that one restaurant for that one chef. It's like, if anyone has achieved true perfection, whatever that means, it might be this guy. Like, it, it's almost like an unbelievable, like, thing to prove that, like, he may have actually achieved it. Uh, he might not. As close as you can get. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, it's, like, kind of crazy to see, like, wow, like, if it exists, it's here. I'm just glad we can't like try it ourselves to like try it. Yeah, right. <laughs> on that front, actually, I do have some sad news. Uh, in 2019, Jiro Ono lost his three Michelin stars. All three of them were revoked because uh, the the restaurant became exclusive to uh, a particular luxury resort in Japan. You have to be a uh, like staying at that resort to get like a ticket to go to his restaurant. Ooh, Otherwise, they no one's allowed in. And yeah, exactly. So they, they closed their doors to the public, essentially. And so Michelin said, nope, if you're not a public-facing restaurant, we're not going to give you any stars. He probably uh, doesn't he, care. I, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear it wasn't about, like, sanitation or something, though. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, his son's restaurant, which is called... Uh, I just had it pulled up and I lost it. Did uh, they serve Skittles? Hills, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, his son's restaurant is still open, though, and uh, you can go there. Nice, uh, nice, nice. Yeah, I can't seem to find it. Um, but yeah, his son's name. But is does he have that right? Katsu. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although he did say he gives it to to only the Ono, only his like family. So maybe he also gives it to because it's technically a second location of the same uh, restaurant. Yeah, Yoshikazu Ono, uh, and you can Google that and find his restaurant. It still, still serves the public. Nice. I love okay. that, they, that throughout the documentary, they like a bunch of different like specialists basically kept saying like it's not about the money, and it's like well. It has to be partially about the money because why yeah. else would you specialize in this? I don't know. Yeah. And especially you know who like says they don't care about money? People with money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too. yeah. And now like then turning into like a private, you know, or like it's not open to the public. Like why else make that move unless, you know, you wanted to make more money? I don't know. Yeah, I will say at the time they filmed the documentary in 2013, uh, it would have cost that 30,000 or 2011, sorry, that 30,000 yen. 30,000 yen, two, yeah. was 200, or now it would be $200, that that translation of yen. I don't know the exact uh, uh, conversion rate back then, but safe to say it was in the hundreds of US dollars just to get in the door. So, uh, yeah, not a cheap It's place. bound to have gone up to what with it's inflation and just how that works. Yeah, I'm betting it's, it's especially at the resort, you're going to, if you're resort folk, you're going to be, it doesn't matter. It's not about the money to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about music. I really enjoyed the music in this. The film uses a mix of uh, Western classical music and it mixes in some 
traditional Japanese sounds. So did that enhance your viewing experience? Did you notice it? Did you love it? What were your thoughts on the music? And they did uh, use the music, the similar music, if you noticed, in uh, Juan Likes uh, Rice and Chicken, too, yeah. which I thought it was well done. They got that detail. Uh, no, yeah, I love the music. I thought it, it like accompanied the uh, the whole thing perfectly. Um, the use of, yeah, it was like Beethoven's concerto. Or what, there was some really famous piece of classical music in there. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I thought it yeah, was, it was almost the running was like, theme. There was some like kind of rising tension moments that were really aided by the the music. Like it actually, there was some, kind of some drama in the documentary, even though it's not really that kind of documentary where you have like a big reveal or a twist or something halfway through. Um, it still managed to have like a sort of energy in, in certain moments, which is great. Yep, well said. Anyone have anything to add there? Anyone hate the music? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you did. No, Kat? no I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really, I know, I really like the music. Um, I think it just like, and maybe overall in the documentary because of like the subject matter and everything, it just borderline is like pretentious, and 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 I feel like any documentaries, uh -huh. especially especially when they use like classical music. It's always like to have that more like elite feeling to it. And mm -hmm. so there's just some, some times where, yeah, sometimes yeah. like within like the context um, where I felt like, oh, you're really trying to elevate this when there's, when the context of it, it doesn't, doesn't really need it or yeah, well it, said. it doesn't, it feels kind of fake. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So there's just mm -hmm. times where I thought it was a little bit too much. I think if they used it, scaled back a little bit less on the classical music front, I would have maybe, you know, liked it more. So good point. I can't I can't say I disagree because if I'm thinking back on my on my watch of the film, of my viewing, I did notice it at some points. And you're really not supposed to notice it, notice it. You, it's just supposed to be an element that kind of elevates what you're seeing. So if I'm thinking back and I'm noticing things, and the same thing you said about the shots that they may have to you maybe overused it, even though it kind of was the philosophy of the film, I noticed the shots. And so if I'm noticing it, then maybe it's a sign that they're overdoing it. What about you? Oh, go ahead, Kat. Well, I was just gonna say, I think the parody, like, that's what I was kind of saying, like that, it yeah, really yeah, emphasizes yeah. on those points and kind of, you know, obviously makes it humorous because it's like kind of like yes. overdoing it. So yeah. Yeah, again, with the slow motion shots of them prepping and stuff, too, and the music was there. Yes, exactly. Pepe, you hated the music. Admit it. Throw a wet blanket right, on I, this. I admit it. I admit it. <laughs> he admitted it! <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the reason that I... Well, so on the one hand, I mean, the music that they use does seem kind of like... Like, there's nothing about this... There's nothing about this this documentary that's, like, avant-garde, right? Like, if they had played the Ramones over it or something, like, you know, like, <laughs> made some really, like, bold choice about the music, they're like, oh, okay, fuck, this is doing something here. But you're just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense that they chose that. Um, but the mm -hmm, reason mm -hmm. I noticed it is because um, I recently watched, um, or recently rewatched um, Master and Commander, and that has, a, like, Yay! some similar yeah. music in it. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is like Master and Commander. <laughs> nice. Master oh, and Commander man. music. I'm just glad you brought up Master and Commander. I'm just going to like bask in that greatness for a second. Love that yeah. movie. <laughs> if if someone ever chooses it, it's either Pepe or I who submitted it. So now you guys oh, can put man, that I in your pocket. Yeah, me too. Not as much as I do. 
No. Yeah, admit it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he admitted that too. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, maybe, maybe because of, like, well, maybe in 2011, like the the like TV food like culture hadn't been so well established that this was like what established it, and then like everything else has been like riffing on this movie, you know. Yeah, I, uh, I do think if you removed, like, remove from the timeline Anthony Bourdain and this movie, we just, like, wouldn't have mm-hmm. food shows. Like, they wouldn't exist. Like, the, that's, like, yeah. everyone's either ripping off Anthony Bourdain or Jujutsu Sushi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. it might be, there. like, that might be to this movie's detriment because it's, like, so, it's, like, everybody's copying it now. You know, it's, like, it was, like, it would be, like, how, like, uh, everybody did a Matrix parody after the matrix right like every yeah movie, for a while every people were. movie yeah that's devin's point yeah, uh, so. a lot of the time because he's a little bit younger and a, a lot of the time he hasn't seen some of the older movies we we throw it down in there and he'll say something like you know and don't let me put words in your mouth but you'll say something like yeah i've seen that a million times you know but you usually put a little caveat in there that you know you understand that it probably was the first time that that thing was established you know so I think yeah, that's a yeah. valid thing to bring up too. Let's talk about how uh, let's talk about how Jiro would stare at the <laughs> the customers all sternly when they're eating. <laughs> that I don't know if I would if I would dig that. Also, while I'm on that, I noticed at one point he said he makes the women sushi a little bit smaller. I don't yeah, know if I yeah. if I don't know if I was happy about that. Uh, you um, know, back in 2011, you get away with that shit, right? Yeah. You're canceled, so Jiro. Why- yeah. That was gonna be my little well, that and another thing was gonna be my little like feminist critique of this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lay it, lay it I out. was like, I was like, if I went there, if I went all the way to Japan to go to this restaurant and I was given less because I was a woman, I'd be so mad. I'd be so livid. I'm like, I'm spending this amount of money and I'm gonna get less because I'm a woman. That's that's bullshit. His uh, his customers yeah. seem pleased by that. Like, oh, that's a bonus, you know? I was yeah, like, no. They were all shaking their heads like, oh, that mm-hmm. makes sense because we're smaller or something. And I'm like, I don't care. I will mm-hmm. eat. I'll, I'll eat more than any man in the room. I don't care. Like, that's that has nothing to do with your size. Well, um, caloric intake. I think it was like literally like physically the size of their mouth. Like they'll chew for too long because it's like they just have smaller. I mean, like smaller teeth. That's like it's a real thing. I don't know. It's like their jaws are smaller. Oh, jaws. you're so canceled, dude. It's like, uh, but it's like a, there's there's sexual dimorphism in human beings. Human beings have sexual dimorphism. There is a difference between the bone structure of a woman's right, cut it, mouth. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. I'm, I'm working on this debate with you right now, Devin. <laughs> okay. But the other thing, because I want to go to the other point I was had about uh-huh. um, about women in this film, is there's there's not like there's lack of women, right? Like the mention, yeah. there's no mention of his of, of a wife if he has one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no, there's like one mention of his mom, but it just focuses on his dad. And granted, it could have been because it, there was like the tragedy with his dad and stuff like that. But there's no like, they skipped over like his relationship to his mom completely. And then I'm like, they don't even mention the wife or the mother to the two sons either. And I don't know if that's a representation of the Japanese culture because I'm I'm not super. I wonder that you know, too. Well, I, well educated in, in the Japanese culture in regards to representation of women there. But I'm just like, where the where the fuck are the women at? My so, guess yeah. is that it does have to do with that. Um, to my shame, I didn't notice it until you just really brought that up. 
Um, but yeah, thinking back on it now, that's that's the thing. I feel like they kind of sent that up to in uh, Juan likes rice and chicken when he talks about, you know, Juan's wife left him like five years ago. And, uh, you know, he saw her in the street the other day and was like, where have you been? Because he just didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's there's some. So. Uh, there's some reason why. Uh, Dodge the mines, Pepe. Can't, 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 can't make sushi, right? And it's because of... Is that true? Yeah. Uh, it's either because their hands are too warm or too cold. This is like the traditional huh. idea that women aren't making sushi. There's an idea about this, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was thinking that, too. Like, where did these two sons come from? They didn't just, mm-hmm. like, spring out mm-hmm. of this man, you know? Like, mm-hmm. who, is this, who is the mother? Oh, here? yeah. Cloning's big there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I did kind of, I guess I just assumed his wife had passed just because of how old he was and because he never mentioned her, but yeah, yeah it is possible that he just it just didn't come up. Um, they, they they don't, like, they never mention it, right? Like, yeah, it's exactly. That's why I thought, like, my Western way of thinking was like, oh, she must have passed. Because, like, in the West, yeah, we would have just, like, it would have made sense if, like, it was just a touchy topic. He just doesn't talk about his dead wife. But yeah, uh, I, mean, I have no idea. the sons would mention Yeah, something. yeah. Um, it raises his, his questions. Best, like uh, his best school friend was uh, was a woman, though, right? His that's right. She yeah. and he bullied her. I remember that. Yeah, he yeah. bullied her. That was part of his Jiro bad boy persona that he. This guy's this guy's a toxic. He's toxic. <laughs> I, do wonder if that, I wondered if that was his wife in that scene when he like goes because like he just kind of goes to that other restaurant and like has a meal with some people and they're all talking and she's like sitting right next to him. I like I thought it's like is that maybe his wife? They're about the same age. I don't know. It was unclear. That, that just like ancient looking woman. <laughs> I mean, he looks pretty ancient too. He looks like a turtle. Yeah. Yeah. He does look like a turtle. He's very turtle. Yeah, yeah. So going back to my first point, I, how uncomfortable would you guys be on a scale of one to infinity uncomfortable with him just watching you the whole time you ate? Cause man, I really don't like to be looked at while I eat. That would really be tough for me. I know he's trying to check out if I'm right or left-handed or whatever. I get it, but ah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it would probably make me a little uncomfortable, honestly. Even being a very big fan of of this documentary and of him, I think it would be a little weird. Uh, I, I, if he did his cute little old man smile, maybe it would help because he did, he does have a cute little smile that he makes very rarely in this uh, in the movie. But <laughs> he does do seem to be pretty and be kicked out. <laughs> he does seem to be pretty happy whenever he's not watching someone eat his food, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like instructing mm-hmm. his sons as to how to make sushi. I feel like I'd pull I would, a face or something. Yeah. I would just stare back at him and ask for more sushi. That's what I would yeah, do. Yeah, right. Yeah. This one's not big enough. <laughs> Can I get the man or, size? Yeah, sushi? Yeah. Come on. I ask for yeah. some uh, some ketchup or some mayonnaise. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I excellent. fucking dare you to go there and ask for ketchup, Pepe. But oh, get it on man. tape. Sneak in a like camera yeah. or something, please. <laughs> TikTok fame right there. <laughs> I mean, if the if the show's gonna fund it, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you win enough petty cash win enough, a little, uh, right? Yeah, no, just win enough prizes and save up. <laughs> I'll, I'll save up my fifty dollar gift cards. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, why do you guys think this movie resonated so well with the global audience? Was it was it basically just because it established a genre like we were kicking around? Was there any other kind of special things there? I mean, it really 
it really was 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, 90% audience score. Uh, people tend to really gravitate towards this one. What's the deal? I mean, I think like, well, this is my thought about it. At least. I mean, yeah, so it was it, at the time, it probably was pretty novel. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like um, people, uh, people like watching other people do things that they're really good at. Um, good point. Yeah. And so I think that's probably part of it. Um, that's why Pornhub's so uh, popular. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. All right. I took us to the gutter. I did it. <laughs> um, David shaking his head. <laughs> what are they? I've never heard of that website, Ben. What are they good at there? <laughs> I don't know. No one can know. It's it's unknowable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be my guess. Uh, and it's also, yeah, like people, I don't know. I mean, like one of the reasons, like one of the things that I, um, like a lot of the things that I watch on like YouTube are people who are like very skilled at a thing that they do, you know, uh, yeah, it's makes interesting and sense. fun to watch them do it. Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, woodworking, like, drawing. Yeah. It all kind of has like a music, right? It all kind of yeah. has, if you're not, if you yourself are not good at it, it almost, there's some kind of a magic to it. Like yeah, it's, it's like, like watching a magician perform or something, yeah, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember when I was first starting out in art school, just watching the professors draw was like super interesting. Like they would do their demo of how, how to do it. And it just looked like they waved their tool over the board and like something beautiful would emerge. And it was very magical to watch that. And so, yeah, I get that. Um, I also like, I think probably the dynamic of like, this little place, you know, it's almost like mythical, like, oh, this little secret place where the teddy bears make sushi <laughs> yeah, right. in a subway thing. There's a little bit magic to that. Um, yeah. Anything else that pops out to you guys? Uh, it's okay if not, but, um, you know, just in case you want to throw in your uh, two cents. Well, I do think that like alluring uh, idea of perfection is part of it too. Like as, as you watch this movie, you get more and more the sense that like what maybe this guy is actually doing a perfect thing. At least on this viewing, that mm-hmm. is very much they what have kind of drew me in. Like, yeah, like pulled me to the edge of my seat. Like, this guy might actually be creating a perfect thing as much as like, I kind of philosophically mm-hmm. don't believe in that idea of perfection. It's like, if if it ever is going to exist, this guy has created it in this one instance. Um, yeah, there's so, so many checks and balances, you know? Yeah, and it's so Which they also parodied like, well yeah, in the other thing. Is only going to live so long and he can pass down as mm-hmm. much as possible. But, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it is true perfection that he's achieved, he, you can't can't teach perfection so uh mm-hmm. you know that's it's like true eventually it'll be gone it's it's temporary and only yeah, so many people can try it i liked how to your point i liked how one of his assistants or trainees or whatever they call them uh apprentices i think was saying like you know he gives me a lot of advice but you know words fall short and you just have to do the thing and and figure it out you know a lot of that so i think that translates to kind of, of what you were saying and Kat, you had another two cents. I was convinced that the food writer, and I cannot pronounce his name, um, that was in the film, oh, yeah. was the PR piece for this film. And that's why everyone <laughs> in, in the whole world knows about it. Because I was like, man, I wish I had a hype man like him in my life. Like, <laughs> 
he was really just like all about uh, Dero and knew everything about him. Um, I love that you so, called him hype, man. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, it's so I also had this thought. So uh, one, there was a period in my life where I worked at a um, like a wine storage facility. So like people, people who had too much wine and couldn't mm-hmm. store it in their house would pay to keep it stored in this warehouse. And when they needed it, they would like send us an invoice and then we would like pull it out of storage and like mail it to them, right? Wow. And I remember this one time um, we had to pull out, we were putting uh, putting this particular wine in boxes that was called, I think it was called, uh, <laughs> it sounds silly now that I, th- I think it was called Screaming Eagle Wine. And the guy that was I was working with was like, be really careful with these. They're really expensive. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, they're like $300 a bottle. And I was like, shit, okay. And so when I got home, I asked my dad about it. And I was like, dad, do you know this wine? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, it's $300 Can a bottle. It? it must be. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's in, right. the, he's in the business, but. Oh, okay, um, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah. So he knew it, and I was like, it must be pretty good for $300 a pop. And he goes, not really. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he was, like, he was like, yeah, I mean, it's like, if you throw like a $300 price tag on a bottle of wine, people are going to be like, oh, this must be fucking good wine. But mm-hmm. since the people mm-hmm. who are eating it don't know, like, their elbows from their assholes, they don't know, you know? I have two things yeah, to the, say about that real oh, quick, uh, Devin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. Sort of, no, no, go ahead. I'll cap it's, it's it off. Brief thing. Uh, I, I like this. Uh, I took a wine marketing class one time, like a whole class about like pricing oh, wine okay. for restaurants. And like literally the first words out of the professor's mouth was there's no such thing as good wine and bad wine. There's cheap wine and there's expensive wine. That is it. That yep. is all that matters. There's cheap oh, wine yeah. there's expensive wine. What is good is going to be completely up to you as the drinker. Uh, and you're more often buying it to show off than you are to actually enjoy it. That's a I fair mean, there point. there has to be there has to be something in quality, right? Though, like that, you know. Sure. I mean, but there's also, you could say, like you could produce a wine for very cheap and use, you know, simple techniques and still. Two bucks, Chuck. That's amazing, a very drinkable you know? wine that's very True. cheap. But yeah, yeah, I am, I don't, I think in the whiskey world, yeah, that's probably true anywhere, but I've tasted some more expensive whiskeys and really like them. I, I, wine, it's more like I, I'll try a bunch of different ones and sometimes you find that diamond in the rough and you're just like, damn, that was like eight bucks a bottle and it was amazing. But uh, Pepe, I wish that my problem was I had so much wine that I needed to rent a warehouse. That is a problem I wish <laughs> yeah, I had. Right. And also, what was the wine called again? I'm pretty sure it was called Screaming Eagle. Um, it was definitely, <laughs> yeah. When you, when, you un, it, when you pulled the cork, it didn't go pop. It went, it made that noise. What? <laughs> That's no, that no, most, no, no, no. <laughs> that was oh, most okay. of the right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, so like, I, I wonder, and like, so what, Kat, what you were saying is like, I wonder if this is so, like, when I, so I've eaten like sushi at like, like a place where you're going to spend, you know, a couple, a hundred bucks if you're going there with like three or four people, right? And I've eaten sushi at places where it's like $20, all you can eat sushi, right? And you can taste, you do taste the difference. Um, but I wonder, I wonder how much, yeah, like I, I, I just, 
I can't like like you're saying like we can't taste this, and so I it's hard to imagine how much better this sushi could be, right? Like we've all sort of like that guy is sort of like the the three might be like three hundred dollar price tag on this wine. Like everybody's saying it's really good, and so when we go there, we're like we're primed. ready to be yeah we're primed to be like oh yeah this is the best thing i've ever i've ever had you know sure my, uh, and, sorry I go ahead. Uh, as someone who loves wine a wine tasting yeah um my trick at least knowing whether wine is good or not is how badly hung hung over am i the next day <laughs> because if oh, i'm really yeah. badly hung over that's shit quality wine if yeah. I'm not that hungover the next day, then I, and I drank just the same amount as I would for another, for, I don't know, bad quality wine, then I know that it was better. I don't know. That's my, that's my but, trick. Yeah. That's part of the, I mean, part of the point that my teacher was making is like, you know, like for you, that's what makes wine good or bad. For me, what makes wine good or bad is what, if I can like drink it without gagging, which like 98.99% <laughs> of any wine I've tried, I immediately gag uh, and cannot even swallow. So like, and that's just how I am with most alcohol in general. Um, mm-hmm. So, like for me, it's good if I can literally get it down my throat. <laughs> so, except for uh, that time we were playing Pathfinder and you got too drunk. <laughs> you that's true, but that was spice rum. Yeah, that was cracking spice rum. And now yeah. I cannot drink that anymore. Uh, I was legitimately worried about you that night. I was like, "Dear God, where did Devin go?" <laughs> Yeah, glad you're still with us. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> the two modes are fully sober and that drunk. Those are the. There's nothing in between. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm gonna right. remember that just in case we need to go to the 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 Casty Awards, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, guys, I got some fanciful stuff to cap off our, our conversation. Fanciful. This, yeah, some fanciful stuff. All right, so we'll do this quick too. Um, I, I've brought this up a few times. Juan likes rice and chicken. It satirizes uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Um, this is less fanciful. I got some more fanciful stuff after this. But did you think that it did the parody like respectfully or does it feel like it was too harsh? Um, and did you appreciate both the original and the satire at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I think as as the person who submitted this and, and obviously really likes it, I really actually was ready to dislike the parody. Um, I've watched a couple documentary now uh, videos and, and I mean, uh, episodes. And for the mm-hmm. most part, mm-hmm. I kind of find them a little too dry, like not quite mm-hmm. funny enough. Uh, this one in particular, though, I did really think was funny. And I think it managed to uh, satirize it without punching down at it, like not make really making fun of it in the way mm-hmm. that it parodies. So it's more like a Weird Al parody. Like, Weird Al doesn't hate any of the songs that he parodies. He's not, he doesn't think they're bad songs that he's making fun of. He's no, but they're lowbrow sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But he's taking something, a great, you know, a great bit of music, and he's making it his own, and he's making it funny. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. like that's that's a lot like what this was. It was just like making jokes out of something great uh, and really appreciating it. And, and adding skittles. knowledge of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I than, love that. Rather than poking fun at it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Anybody else? I mean, I li- I mean, I liked it. I, I like. I think that like uh, you're talking so the parody, another, though. Yeah, yeah, the parody. I mean, I like one of the things that I think about this like documentary is just is like is it is like making is like making 
perfect sushi like a good thing to do with one's life right um uh maybe not um you know and then that part kind of does seem buddhist in a way though like you know you find your escape from what is it sorrow or suffering yeah through simple simplicity or something like that i'm I'm probably butchering that okay cat's kind of saying eh, maybe okay (laughs) well i mean I, i think that there's like there's um yeah, I don't know. There, there's something you said by to be. There's something to be said for being very good at what you do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but like, yeah, you get the impression that like this guy has is doing it at the detriment of like many other things. Uh, to the detriment of many other things in his life, perhaps. Yep. yep. Um, and then maybe at that point it becomes not good, right? Yeah. Because like, I mean, like, I'm I'm doing. I, well, I don't mean to like, so I was going to say I'm doing something that like a high level right now. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when I try to do those things, I try to do it. You're as getting a PhD well as for I those can. that don't know you're working on your PhD. Yeah. So I'm working on a PhD. And so when I engage in like the philosophy that I want to do, I try to do it as, as well as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and so I can, in a certain sense, I can sympathize like, yeah, like I, like when, when he, like sometimes when he talks about like, it's not about the money, I just want to make this as good as I can. Like I, like no one gets into the philosophy game for honor, right? Or like fucking a paycheck, right? Right. And so like, I, I buy that on a certain level, right? Um, and like, I think artists, artists are like that too. Um, the paycheck is a nice added bonus but like being able to do the thing that you want to do with your life is the sort of like prize you Uh, better enjoy the process if you want to get into art if you want to be any good at it yeah because those moments of getting the paycheck and the awards are fleeting and yeah that's all i have to say about that enjoy the enjoy the process there's a certain like it makes sense that you want to be like respected in your field like having the accolades of your peers is a good thing right you should want to have that Mm -hmm. and that makes sense um but yeah you get the sense that like um that like not only has not only has has jiro maybe like uh you know done done some violence to his own life but perhaps to the life of his like eldest son as well so Mm -hmm. yeah anyway again in the parody he said he was like he's like yeah i think i'm most hardest on myself and then it cut to his son he's like I think yeah, he's harder right. on me. <laughs> he's, uh, yes. And I, I think that's what the parody also does really well of just showing, you know, what you guys were saying earlier about that. It's like really great to see someone be so passionate and so great at their skill. But mm-hmm. when it comes to like the detriment of other things in their lives, is it worth it at the end? And it obviously the parody plays into the relationship between the father and the sons and how that's been damaged. Um, but, but the parody has a happy ending at the it end, does. whereas yep. the film, like, you know, it's it almost not, did a better really job in a way yeah. because well, both my wife and I watched it real quick and we both teared up when he went to his son's restaurant and had that happy ending go where the son got the Michelin star and won the respect and stuff. And throughout watching this film, I was thinking about, uh, another show called Queer Eye that 
is okay. out right now, like with the newest season. And the yeah, reason the for one. that is because it's a makeover show, but they talk about like one of them is um, uh, essentially like a therapist. And I'm just thinking, I was like, if they had queer eyed Jiro, they would have talked about like, hey, you need to like not project your goals and aspirations in life to your sons. You need to let them do their own thing. Like I could just see the whole dialogue like while I was watching this film of like what queer eyes the cast would do. Interesting. Yeah, yeah if I you mean, remember noticing... Younger, yeah, go ahead, Pepe. I was going to say, his, the younger of his sons that was allowed to like go and open his own restaurant seemed so much happier. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, yeah, it just seemed like such a... He seemed like such a happier guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the other side, sort of side of that that I, I meant to mention this earlier, but uh, the other side to sort of this documentary that may have been an, in an unintentional sort of theme is like the price of perfection, you know, like what, yeah. what it takes to create something perfect because, yeah, not only did Jiro live this like kind of tortured life, like thrown out on the streets as a nine-year-old by his own parents to like mm-hmm. create his own, to go find a career or else sleep in the streets, like uh, that's obviously awful. And then uh, the like very specific circumstances in which they obtained their rice and their tuna and everything and the, mis- the mistreatment of his uh, children. It's like, this kind of sea of, of tribulation that creates what might be this perfect thing. But like, is it really worth it? Is it, you know, is any of that actually worth perfection? Uh, if it means yeah. losing so much and, and uh, yeah, it's sort of, like I said, and probably an unintentional message, but still a very interesting message. That yeah. I like that you call it unintentional because in a way it does deftly highlight that, but I don't know if it was the intent of the filmmaker to highlight that, but I got that yeah. from it. I had these moments of, kind of existential dread when like I remember this one scene it was like following Jiro talking about his son and I think it cut to a shot of his son he's like he just needs to do this every day for the rest of his life and then he's good yeah right yeah I was like wow man project much (laughs) yeah the the only time it felt a little intentional is there's like some moments where uh like a character like a person doing an interview would like kind of wistfully look or not even wistfully like look off to the like almost dejected like look into the middle distance and like <laughs> the camera would just like linger on them for like a second longer than they like wanted to talk for and they would look like profoundly sad and i don't know if it was on purpose or not but like i don't know the mm. camera lingered like they kept that shot uh, as long as it was and yeah they no one really ever looked happy in those moments someone please yeah, well. take these guys to disneyland then <laughs> <laughs> they'll know what they've been missing out on no they get to go to ghibli town or whatever it's uh, called Oh, and I'm thinking also maybe the reason it resonated with so many people was because of Jiro's like survivalist mentality and how kind of everyone maybe relates to that of just like wanting, needing to survive, obviously, um, on just Mm -hmm. a basic level, but kind of this like hunger to survive, like you, that you're motivated from, from that. But it's just really clear with Jiro, like he's still in this survivalist mentality, which is with himself and with his kids that that's why he's like still working. He's like basically going to work till he dies because he doesn't know what to do with himself. If there's no work, he, he doesn't know what life is outside of work, which I think that happens to a lot of people. They retire and they don't know what to do with themselves. They're so, so focused on work that they don't, they literally don't know what to do. And I think that is sad. Um, And that's not terribly uncommon, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And 
And there was that scene, like to go back what Devin was saying right now about um, the lingering shot of uh, they're talking to like people at the market. And there's one guy says, I want to retire, but you know, I, I can't, I have to keep working. And he's like kind of basically saying like he was feeling down about it because he wanted to stop working, but he couldn't. I even mentioned, I watched this with my mom. I mentioned to my mom in that, that exact scene, uh, like, I wonder if that guy is staying in business because Jiro is staying in business and he's setting this example of like, you know, perfecting your craft and working in the field for as long as you can. And like all these other old guys are like, well, I want to retire, but fucking Jiro's over there still working. So I guess I got to too. Gotta uh, keep selling almost... the rice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's what sort of made me, Devin, like, like one of the first things I, I asked was like, does this documentary have a point of view? And I think it, it sort of, or it gave me the impression that it sort of didn't. I mean, maybe the point of view of that, like, look at this sushi, it's good. You know, maybe like that's a point of view, but like, um, but yeah, like maybe. in our conversation, we've talked about like a lot of the issues that like we found in this documentary, mm-hmm. but I don't know that, but I don't know that the, it didn't seem to me like the documentarians were sort of like, sort of like telling us like, yeah, you should, you should do this with your life or like, look at, maybe you shouldn't do this with your life. It, it seemed to me be, to be pretty neutral, which was, I don't, I don't get that oftentimes with talk. I don't see that oftentimes with documentaries. Yeah. Go ahead, Kat. Yeah. I think it's worth saying that like, when you're watching any documentary, why did they choose the pieces that they chose? Or why did they choose to focus on the things that they chose to focus on? And so I don't, and I, and I get what you're saying in regards to the neutrality throughout this documentary. And I would actually hope that most documentaries would kind of have a neutral level, but you're right. There's usually a slant to it. Um, But I, I would question I would question why they chose to focus so much on the relationship between the father and the sons, because I do think that was pretty heavily focused mm, yeah. throughout this film. So I would say that there is kind of a point of view or a slant to it because of that. Of those it does decisions. make me it does make me wonder about the intention, the intentionality therein. Like maybe there was, but then there's something to be said about well, the neutrality that, of it. I we, got him. I got him talking about the intentions. No, that's interesting. Well, you know, this Everyone. came up in the critiques of the movie. Yeah, I was going to say, Pepe, that this is. I was actually going to bring that up. That's what I was leading towards. <laughs> um, some of the critics criticisms of the movie were were that it uh, possibly didn't have much in the way of an intention or uh, an arc. And so some of the criticisms that you yourself had was something in the popular critiques of the movie um, that it didn't really have a point of view and such. But we also it also leaves room for the viewer to then kind of project that onto the movie itself and ask those questions. So, I mean, it still kind of works no matter what the intention was. Um, yeah, I, so. do, I do think like any piece of, I mean, it, like documentaries are essentially journalism and like any good piece of journalism, it is trying to be neutral. Um, but again, the uh, uh, the gaze of the lens sort of gives a, a meaning to any, you know, gives a, a slant to any story. And I do think, yeah, the focus on the sun specifically of the way that uh, it's very emphasized that like he's been an apprentice way too long. He's got, he's been, at the time of the movie, he'd been an apprentice for 39 years. Like mm-hmm. he's been quote unquote mm-hmm. learning for 39 years, which like, that is longer than anybody goes to school for anything in the world. Yep. Like that is the yep. longest you can spend learning something. And uh, neurosurgeons don't like, even spend a fraction of that time. 
yeah, opening the documentary focusing on that and then closing the documentary with that fact about the Michelin star that when they actually earned those three stars, it wasn't even Jiro preparing the sushi, it was his son. Yep. That feels like that that subtle sort of journalistic edge towards an opinion of like, there is a slant. like his son clearly needs needs to take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I know you're speaking in the traditional sense of the word about journalism stuff, but yeah, more and more so in our culture that there is like a slant to journalism and there's definitely a more so a slant to um to um movies like this you know uh except for michael moore he never has an angle that guy is just he's t- <laughs> right. pure neutral no uh so yeah that was my dumb joke all right let's move on to some fanciful stuff um so this one is a quick question and maybe you have an idea maybe not if you were to work at Jiro's restaurant, <laughs> would you leave after a day? But no, the real question is, uh, and yes, that's yes for me. Um, but um, what role would you see yourself in? Um, would you be like the strict but passionate head chef, the reliable second in command, or perhaps the apprentice uh, learning to master the art? Or an uncomfortable customer being Please. stared at? <laughs> what would be the role you see yourself in? I'd be the bossy, uh, opinionated guy who tells the the kid that he didn't do the bananas right. So (laughs) I definitely know myself enough to say that. Uh, I mean, I want to be one of those dealers. I want to be like a fish or rice rice man or the rice guy. Yeah, Yeah, those guys had interesting jobs. Like in a shady back alley, like I got the rice man. That guy that sold the rice looks fucking crazy. He he had such a weird look to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Marriott wants this race. Like a, I won't give it to him. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a character from like a like a like a Takeshi Miike movie or something. Like, oh, this guy's about to fucking murder Jiro for his right. rice. Yeah. yeah, it's like he was the guy down in the basement in in uh, Parasite. Yeah, in Parasite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to be rice merchant. You also want to be that's, a merchant? Okay. All right, Cat. What about you? Or just or just like eater. Is there, do they have a position of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just taste. Um, can, can I be the food writer? Cause I feel like his oh, job yeah, is the choice. best. Yeah. Hype man. Yeah. 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 I think that is suitable. All right. Good. Good answers guys. Okay. So if you were to have sushi with three people living or dead, who would they be? And maybe why? I don't know. Who, who do you want to eat sushi oh, with? Man. I can tell you one thing. Definitely not Jiro because he would be staring at me. <laughs> um, I would choose three Jiros because I'm totally into that. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Take it the other direction. <laughs> I love stern old men watching me eat. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> I'm super into Yeah, right. I'm That's super right. into that. If you want yeah. to like gently slap me a little bit too, that would be okay. My honest answer right now off the cuff would be <laughs> let's all get sushi together right now. That that just that's yeah, a cop out a little fun. bit, but man, I wish we could all have some sushi right now. I should have through the magic of the internet, I wish I could just hand you all some Jiro sushi. Some, some sushi. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, well, who's that at the door? It's not Columbo, it's uh, DoorDash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyone have uh, thoughts? Uh, okay, Devin, you're not sure. If even uh, if you have one living or dead? Did you say living or dead? Living or dead. Yeah. All right. Then uh, I mean, I gotta go. Robin Williams, just because any interaction. Oh with that man, yeah. Right on. So yeah. Good choice. You can even do one if you just have one. 
There's no rules. Uh, I mean, that's it. Three, three, three Robin Williams. He, I mean, he could be three different three people. Three Robin Williams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, easily. He, it's like having sushi with a thousand different people for sure. Um, I would choose John Stewart. Um, Interesting. Okay. I would choose Martin Luther King. All right. And third one would probably be. I don't know, like Jimi Hendrix or something like that. Something cool. Yeah. Wow, cool. Right so on. Good cool answers. I like those other two people. Yeah. Well, those are the two nerds. They're cool in other ways. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, actually, all at the same time? More, or... oh, okay, go ahead, Devin. Go ahead. If I had to pick two more, I think I'd go with uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain, another uh, oh, legend. Oh, good one. Yeah, hugely formative uh, for me. And um, John probably, Oliver. Uh, I was going to say John Oliver. I think if I was going to go with a TV, a living TV personality, though, it's got to be James May from Top Gear. Uh, he's got oh, uh, Top he, Gear. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know him from Top Gear, but that's what he's famous for. It's, if like, if people know James May, they know him from that. Um, but he did a, he does a show, or he did a show called James May, Our Man in Japan, and it's like the, the literally the best Japanese travel show I've ever watched, even beyond anything Anthony Bourdain made. I absolutely, with the highest regard, recommend James May, Our Man in Japan. On uh, I think it's on Amazon also. Uh, it's just a yeah. really fun, like, very, very white, very British man traveling <laughs> across, like, all of Japan, just being an idiot the whole time uh, and just, like, apologizing constantly. It's, like, the number, the only thing he knows how to say in Japanese is I'm sorry because he's just, like, constantly insulting people. Uh, but it's just a lot of fun to watch. You mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fucking Logan Paul? Was that the guy oh, who did all that stupid shit in Japan? Oh god, no. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, he'd be the, oh, the person I'd, I'd want him there so I could poison him with that uh, puffer fish. <laughs> with the puffer fish. Like yeah. yeah. The fugu, yeah. Yeah, I got a different answer now, now that we've been stewing on this. I would I would oh, go three, with John Favreau. John oh, okay. John Favreau, both okay. because he likes uh cooking and I could pitch him something. So, you know, I'm thinking about the career oh, there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think the chef's name is like James Keller. He's the one that owns the or runs the French laundry out in Napa. Oh, yeah. If I'm getting that wrong, then maybe like uh, the Hell's Kitchen guy, Gordon Ramsay. He seems like chill when he goes out to eat with people, but he seems like a jerk if you work for him. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I mean, it's it's very much a persona with Gordon Thomas Ramsay. Keller. He, he's... Uh, Gordon has said in interviews that he's essentially doing like he's doing the worst boss ever. Like that his whole someone like a drill sergeant. Like kitchen. Yeah. He's he's trying to be the worst boss you'll ever have so that if you go into the restaurant industry, you will be prepared for the worst. Yeah. Uh, is kind of his philosophy. He's quite polite when he's outside of that environment, I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, seems kind of nice. Uh okay. So Pepe, I see the gears turning. Well, for me, it would just be just like a bunch of philosophers. So <laughs> Plato. It would be Plato and uh Thomas Aquinas. So. Oh man, you would just okay. you wouldn't even eat any sushi though, Pepe. You'd be talking the whole time. You wouldn't even put any food in your mouth. It's a, sushi's you know getting cold. It's, it's, it's no longer it. body temperature. Yeah. You could write a sushi book called Plato's Armpit. <laughs> <laughs> So delightful. All right. One more question and we'll wrap up our discussion. Um, <laughs> this is movie related and sushi related. Okay. If you had to make sushi out of only movie theater snacks, what would you use and why? For me, it would be popcorn 
Raisinets and Red Hots. Anyone else want to throw something out there? How do you make the popcorn sushi out would be of the that? roll? You'd smash the popcorn and then uh, turn it into something you could roll the other things in with. Little okay. butter on top, you know. And then the Red Hots would be like the uh, the uh, uh, what's the stuff called the wasabi. Oh. Repeat the Red Hot wasabi all. sauce. You like Red Hots? Gross. <laughs> no, it's the only thing that's like the wasabi though. Oh, okay. What was the question one time, Beth? Yeah, if you had to make sushi out of stuff that you would only find in a movie theater like snack area, you know, what would you what would you use uh, for your ingredients? That is that Yeah, is six seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mine would be made out of M&M peanuts. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this would logistically work. So I'm just throwing out <laughs> my okay. favorite we'll snacks. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. We'll workshop it. Evan and Peanuts, uh, a mix of the red and blue slushy. Ooh, uh, okay. <laughs> and like, I don't know, a hot dog or something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know how that would work either, but uh, yeah. the the Somehow you'd make a sauce out of the red and blue slushy, I, th- I guess. Um, and then you'd have the hot dog and then you'd like roll it in the, you know, crunch up the M&Ms and turn that into some kind of roll thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, yeah. If we're yeah. talking, if we're talking chopped rules, uh, yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit because we have corn dogs and nachos at our movie theater. Not all movie theaters have that, but, uh, mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. I would take the cornbread, uh, wrapping off of the corn dogs. I okay. would, okay. uh, I would, um, take the the corn chips from the nachos grind those down and make them into a tortilla uh, again yeah, reconstitute yeah. them make them back into a, a full corn tortilla mm-hmm. then it would be uh that would be the seaweed tortilla seaweed cornbread rice and then hot dog filling with a nacho cheese sauce i think that would that's a fairly oh, that like sounds legit that would actually have that's, some just, that's just a taco you made a taco uh, well, you Which is awesome. And hot dog <laughs> cornbread and hot dog taco. But yeah, sure. I mean, so you made you made taco, corn right? chips into a corn chip tortilla. Yeah, and that's the wrapping. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's a that's a taco. You've played Pathfinder well, with Devin before. You know how he likes to stretch the rules. <laughs> There's no rice in the in the sh- in the snack bar at all, so you can't make sushi because sushi refers to the rice. So I'm just making something shaped like sushi, which would be. Corn tortilla, seaweed. It's an interpretive rice, question. Hot dog, it's allowed. fish. Hot dog, fish. You know. Also, <laughs> oh, the, circle back to cat. You said it would be like disgusting, or it would be the best thing ever, and you just didn't see it coming. I mean, if you were probably stoned, anything would would taste good. So yeah. So James <laughs> Pepe, what have you got for us? Uh, well, I don't know, man. Um, so maybe Plato, like Aristotle, yeah, smush them together. Um, well, here they have Alamo Draft House movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, roll with that like, then. You can just like order food, so I just ordered the sushi. Oh <laughs> man, now I just want to yeah. go there and watch a movie. <laughs> no, no, okay, so um, how about so, like, ah, oh, man, I don't know, like, uh. Do they still sell like airheads or like sure, yeah. those like candy belts, those like sour candy belts? So I'd roll it up in a sour candy belt. Um oh, sweet, I not like, savory. I like it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um 
So that would be the like the well, sushi, I guess, technically doesn't have seaweed, huh? I don't know. I'll pass. I'm passing. <laughs> Devin's was dumb, but I'm not going to do one. I like that I you could say. take the airheads, though, and use them to roll things in. Like, that's something yeah. you could just yeah. actually do. So I think you're, you, you're yeah. on to something there. Well, if you want to jump back in later, that's fine. All right. We've got a lot more great content in this sushi roll for you to bite into. But before that, Let's take a quick break to let our sponsors share some of their own dreams. Hopefully they're less raw and not served on a bamboo leaf. Stay tuned and we will be right back. And now a word from our sponsors. Calling all sushi aficionados and masochists. Experience the breathtaking world of sushi through the eyes of a legend with Jiro's Journey, the VR experience. Inspired, <laughs> inspired by the life and craft of the man himself from Jiro Dreams of Sushi, our immersive VR game will plunge you into a world of wasabi rice and the freshest fish you can virtually handle. Start your journey in a humble 10-seat sushi restaurant located in a Tokyo subway station. Sounds easy, right? Think again, folks. In Jiro's journey, the fish doesn't cut itself and the rice won't cook in a snap. Learn the nuances of picking the perfect tuna at 5 a.m. Discover the art of applying the right pressure to sushi rice. And of course, strive to perfect your sushi in a gameplay so realistic you can almost taste the temagayaki. But remember, in the world of sushi, perfection is an elusive fish. You'll be judged harshly by virtual Jiro himself. He won't hold back on his comments, and boy, does he expect excellence. Can you stand the heat, or will the sushi kitchen get the better of you? Are you ready to dedicate years to mastering the art of sushi, or will you quit after your hundredth Temagayaki flop? With Jiro's Journey, we're offering an unparalleled gaming experience where patience is not just a virtue, it's a survival skill. Disclaimer, side effects may include sudden onset sushi <laughs> cravings. Please do not attempt to eat your controller. Unreasonable expectations for your local sushi restaurant. No, they're not using the wrong rice. Repetitive stress injuries from virtually <laughs> needing too much sushi rice. Uncontrollable sobbing when your sushi doesn't meet Jiro's standards. Sleepless nights <laughs> obsessing over whether to place the wasabi on top or under the fish. Your friends and family <laughs> staging an intervention because you refuse to take off your VR headset. The realization that you might not be cut out for the sushi business after all. Can't say we didn't warn you. Jiro's <laughs> journey. Dare to step into the sushi chef's shoes and taste a slice of virtual reality so fresh it puts real life to shame. Yeah. And now we return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You got to be careful with that because someone might bust into your your room and, and catch you massaging the octopus for 40 <laughs> fucking minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. What are you doing in there, Johnny? <laughs> massaging the octopus, Ma. I told oh, you to never come love. in when I'm massaging the octopus. <laughs> Jiro's going to be angry if I don't. He's staring at me sternly. Yeah, so. right. I mean, there's like a DDR-style scowl game of 
where you just like scowl. You have to make different <laughs> scowls at the people who are your, eating your sushi. Yeah. You better have that experience as part of the gameplay. Yeah. All right. We're sitting on Guys, a gold mine, Ben. That's right. Sitting on a gold mine. As always, this show's full of them. It's just nothing but gold <laughs> yeah. mines all the way down. okay speaking of gold mines why don't we uh, hopefully everyone has heard and talked about sushi enough to assign a grade so why don't we do that and find out where uh jiro loves or jiro dreams of sushi lands on the uh, gpa emitter All right, so after a full course meal of our Jiro Dream Sushi discussion, we feel as satisfied as after dining on a perfect omakase meal. Now it's time we skillfully played up our grades for this Michelin star-worthy documentary. So, Devin, it was your movie. Where did you land with Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Uh, Well, it should be a surprise to none that this movie is a hard A for me. Uh, It set me down the career path I find myself on today. Um, I give it immense credit for that. And uh, I think it it is very, it's a very complex movie in in the many different ways you can kind of read it as we've discovered today. But I choose to read it as a a beautiful uh, testament to one's craft and and bettering oneself always, which is a universally positive message while willed in the right hands. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so we got an A from Devin. Let's see that third. Good, good closing argument, counselor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, hear, I'll rest my case, <laughs> ladies and yeah. gentlemen of the supposed jury. Right, so uh, yeah, that played for me, Devin. If I was on the jury, I, I would also say that uh, I'm going to give uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi an A. I loved the, the documentary. I was entertained. I loved our discussion. I loved the stuff that we brought up and talking about intentionality for once, James Pepe. To put a, a feather Yay. in your cap for that one. Um, yes. It's a documentary, though. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that speaks the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll throw that caveat in. No, no. Well, they should, no. they should, but it shouldn't be important to the viewer as much as to what the viewer got out. <laughs> okay. But we, we can go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to give it an A. And I really, I really loved the, the, um, the mockumentary that we ended up watching as well. I had fun with both. So I'm going to go with an A on this one. Kat, what did you think of Jiro Dreams of Sushi and what's your grade? My grade for this film is a solid B. Um, I do think it was a great film and um, I could see how um, a lot of food documentaries have copied uh, this, this film since it came out. Um, essentially putting it an important film in the documentary history um, overall. Uh, But I do have some complaints about some of the repetition of some Mm -hmm. of the shots, as well as kind of an overuse of the classical music and, of course, the lack of representation of women, because I would not be Mm -hmm. a feminist or in this podcast if I didn't (laughs) say that. So That's right. um, So, yeah, that's why I I would give it a solid B. Yeah, cool. I can buy that. And uh, you might say that this movie was the sushi that launched a thousand food shows. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right, cool. 
or not, whatever. All right, so we've got two A's and a B. That <laughs> leaves a final grade to Professor James Pepe. What oh, did you grade no, no. Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Uh, I'm gonna give this. I gave this one a B plus. Um, I think, um, yeah. I mean, I agree with like a lot of the things that Devin said. I agree with a lot of things that Kat said. Um, I think it's like I think it's a really well made piece of film. Um, but I think, yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit of the shine has come off of it just because it is. We're now we now are watching it like we're like fully inundated with like food media constantly. Um, and mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like maybe, yeah, like I was hoping, well, I was going to say I was hoping for it to do something a little bit more interesting than it did, but that's not really right. I mean, I didn't expect, I because I'd seen it before, I knew what I was expecting, but it would be nice, I guess I should say, if that they did something a little more, I don't know, yeah, just a little, give it a little pizzazz or something, a little, little blast from the spice weasel or something. Nice, nice. <laughs> I really like yeah. that you zeroed in on the popular critiques of the film too. That was uh, really well done there. So that's why we that's why we pay you the big bucks around here. Yeah, that's why they keep me around. That's right. That's right. Okay, so Devin, what is our overall GPA for Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Our final GPA is a solid three point five eight, putting it at a B plus. Wow, we've been nice, we've, strong. We've been away for so long that I forgot about this part of the show. <laughs> I become uh, disappointed yes. in everything. Don't worry, I don't, the... don't, I don't no, think we no, featured no. on this this uh, week's segment. <sighs> um, yeah, in this tier, we have everything everywhere all at once at a three point four three. Um, shockingly. In my opinion, Whisper of the Heart at a 3.5. Uh, Yay, me. Ex Machina at a 3.5. I love 3. that movie. should be higher. Whisper of the Heart's Agreed. I love Whisper of the Heart. Uh, Never Ending Story at a 3.5. Talented Miss Ripley Aww. at a 3.5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blair Witch Project at a 3.48. Yeah, okay. Uh, I believe. And then we have a couple 3.4 B pluses. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Enemy, and Lighthouse are all 3.4 B pluses. Oh, God damn it. That is the B plus range. So we'll <laughs> you heard a couple you of did it. Two, <laughs> two of those three movies should be much higher. 10 Cloverfield uh, Lane, Lane, obviously. And yeah. And <laughs> you know, the Blair Witch Project held up surprisingly well for how old it was and what you it know, was. It's funny, like I, I, I should, I'm interested now to go back and listen to that episode because I, like Blair Witch is a pretty fucking good movie. I'm surprised it didn't do a little bit. Well, I mean, what, how, what did it get three? I thought I was gonna not like it, but I ended up really liking the rewatch, and it held up really uh, well for how old three point four eight. So it's yeah, right there, mostly B's and A's. Yeah. Well, B yeah. plus is pretty, pretty, pretty like center. Like a lot of like most movies are gonna be in the three. Three five range, right? Like because it's kind of the middle. Yeah, B is the most common letter on on here yeah. for sure. But overall, yeah, makes B sense. C plus B. I mean, we wouldn't be putting forth movies we hate anyway. This isn't like Turkey Shoot yeah, or something. So, you know. When we, all when right, we finally cool. do our review season and we rewatch all of the movies that I <laughs> submitted that got slighted. <laughs> we critically reappraised them as being the November best Awake and Fright we've ever seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just everything. All of mine. All of them. Less than a uh, we'll do score. like twelve. Yeah. yeah, we'll do twelve shows for every <laughs> series. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> It'll be the longest series yet. All right. <laughs> Speaking of movies and what we're gonna watch, 
why don't we oh, roll for the next part. episode? Exactly. Uh, if I can I find it. Sound drop. It's the best new sound drop. It's time! Hell it yeah. is indeed time. Fucking it's time. Hyped. Yeah, get hyped. It's time to sushi roll for what the next episode is going to be. Oh, yeah, I'm going to use it up. Where we let the dice decide our fate is to what we're watching for next show. So I believe traditionally it was now um, James Pepe's turn to roll the dice. We need to roll a four-sider. Oh, let me... And, I real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to get my submission sheet bam, up. Bam. Talk amongst yourself. Oh, I can talk. <laughs> Everybody talk about my cat. Uh, that is a cute cat. Yeah. We got to get the cat cam going on. I mean, I know we have a cat cam because cat's here, but we need the second cat cam. Yeah, we can't have two cats in this podcast. One cat, uh, oh, cat one fight. Princess Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Without further ado, let's let fate play a hand in what we'll be doing next. So here's your drum roll. It's a two. It's a two. Lucky number two. Next show, <laughs> we will be watching a little movie called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Aw. Oh, came, wow. <laughs> came out in 2018 and is now streaming on Netflix. Won't you be my neighbor and come join us for the next show, neighbor, and we'll watch and discuss that film. Uh, again, streaming on Netflix. So join us for next show. Um, speaking of show, we've got some business to attend to. Show business. How much do you know about show business, Mr. Valiant? Only there's no business like it. No business I know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We got some show business, <laughs> folks. Uh, unfortunately, we're not perfect around here. My producer always twists my arm and makes me do these retractions and admit that we were wrong. So uh, I'm just going to get through these real quick. First retraction. Earlier in the show, we joked extensively about stealing sushi from Jiro. We've since been informed that this would be an egregious culinary crime in Japan and a crime against humanity. And not to mention, uh, you know, somewhat of a serious faux pas in sushi etiquette to steal it. Um, so we apologize to all <laughs> sushi chefs and connoisseurs and our lawyers. Um, we also need to retract our statement about the 10-year training requirement to make the perfect egg sushi in uh, Jiro's restaurant. It seems that we exaggerated a tad. Um, the real training period is a mere... Well, okay, now it says here it's still 10 years. We actually don't regret this here, but uh, <laughs> I personally do regret not having that kind of dedication for anything. Uh, all right, and uh, one more. Finally, we'd like to apologize for suggesting that we could start a sushi restaurant in our office kitchen here in uh, Redhead Media Studios. Uh, <laughs> upon reflection and a quick consultation with our HR department, it turns out that repurposing the break room uh, coffee machine to cook sushi rice it might be uh, a little bit of a health code violation. Who'd have thought? Okay, well, uh, that's it for the retractions. We sincerely <laughs> apologize and ask that you bear with us as we strive to be better. Okay. Just like Jiro. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're just like Jiro now. Just like him. Yeah, just trying to um, be better. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, speaking of being better, fan 
emails. You can write to Ben at redhenmedia.com and we may respond on the show. And mom, stop writing. I'm not going to read them. Um, no, like, write to us. <laughs> oh, no, <Let> read them. <laughs> it's the best show I've ever heard. Um, so <laughs> again and again and again. Uh, so let us know. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Let us know how we're doing. Did we get something still wrong? Time. You can be a pharmacist. There's still time. <laughs> exactly. Not that again. Um, okay, yeah, so mom. write to us. Let us know how we're doing. Did we get something wrong? Inevitably, we do. Did you arrive at the same conclusions as our very own James Pepe and therefore discover objective truth? You'd be right. <laughs> what segment <laughs> of the show is your favorite? And most importantly, where are you listening from? Estonia? Probably. We're big oh, in Estonia. So. Write to us, and we may choose your email to read and respond to on the show. Okay, guys, I think that's about it for tonight. That's usually where the show ends. That's usually where the show ends, yeah. Yeah. No, usually not anymore, show. What? Oh, I this hope I actually did order before. sushi. No, not even once. Never. Not every show, that's for sure. <laughs> not even once. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just one more thing. Ah! <laughs> Lieutenant Colombo. He's here. Um, he says we have time for just one more thing where each co-host shares a little something from outside the show. Um, so I'll start. Uh, I'll follow in Devin's footsteps here. I have a reading, watching, playing, and I'll get through these real quick. So lately, I've been diving into Malcolm Gladwell's What the Dog Saw after uh, uh, our very own Jim uh, recommended one of his books, which I've read a few other of his, but uh, I wanted more Gladwell. So I picked up What the Dog Saw. And it's a fascinating collection of essays uh, that he wrote over his time as a journalist that explore human behavior and societal phenomena. And it's kind of about like looking through an unusual lens, kind of prompting us to see the world from new perspectives. Um, it covers everything from like uh, pitchmen to... Um, well, dogs, uh, as far as like uh, he covers, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Caesar Milan, for example. So it takes you through a lot of different different things like that and, and kind of takes you through those mindsets and how they see the world. So for anyone craving a hefty dose of insight with a bit of wit on the side, I do heartily recommend What the Dog Saw, Malcolm Gladwell. Watching uh, is for my screen time. I've been binging, ruthlessly binging, into the world of succession on HBO. And I know that I'm late to the party on this one. Everyone in the world's seen this but me. But uh, better late than never, I guess. I should be caught up by the time this episode airs. And I got to say, I've been relishing every minute of this cutthroat corporate battle and family dynamics-based show. If you haven't given it a shot yet, or uh, if, like me, you're just getting started, it's definitely worth your time. Now, playing, lastly, I've been donning my Jedi robes and waging battles in a galaxy far, far away with Jedi Survivor on PlayStation. Uh, this game is a thrill a minute, and I've been thoroughly enjoying every twist and turn. And the gameplay in fighting is rad. Uh, so all you Star Wars aficionados and gaming enthusiasts, this is a must play. All right. So anyone want to jump in with their just one more thing? Um, I'll go next. I also have a watch play read. So all I'll right. that real quick. Um, I just finished watching the third season of Mandalorian. Um, I'm still thoroughly enjoying it. I know a lot of people have kind of fallen off that show. I feel like I don't see as much buzz about it, but uh, I think this season's choice to focus on Bo-Katan was really smart. Um, I think the show kind of needs 
unlike a lot of shows that I think have too many characters, like Stranger Things, I feel like kind of underwent a character bloat. Uh, I think that Mandalorian started out so small that it really gave itself room to expand, and by this third season really needed more characters to like give a stronger focus on it, and that's exactly what they did. So I'm really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, I mm -hmm. like kind of how wide the Star Wars universe is getting. Again, unlike Marvel, where I feel like the wideness is getting kind of overwhelming. Uh, Star Wars, it almost makes more sense. You have this whole galaxy. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Highly recommend. Um, I have spoken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as far as playing, I've been playing nothing but Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Hell uh, yeah. It is, uh, I mean, easily the greatest game ever made, which is crazy because it came out a year after Elden Ring, which was the greatest game ever made uh, until now. Now this is the greatest game ever made. Uh, I've played over 100 hours of it. I am nowhere even close to finishing it. Probably have another 100 hours to play. Um, Talk about getting your money's it is, worth. It is endless. Yeah, for, for people who are trepidatious, there was a, a, a um, podcaster that I listened to uh trying to remember his name uh brendan bigley brendan bigley of the into the aether podcast he described the difference between breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom as in, in breath of the wild they really put uh exploration first and creativity second those are like the first two principles of those games like it's like not meaning that one is less than the other but like or well one is only slightly less than the other. those are the first two focuses this mm -hmm. game same two focuses but they put creativity first that's it that's all they did so they just swapped those two positions so it is about creativity first and exploration second and that simple shift makes it an entirely different game. Uh, tons of new stuff. It is not DLC. It is it is insane. You'll be blown away by how different it is. Um, so everybody definitely check that out. And as far as reading, I have been uh, reading Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino, uh, a fairly famous book in the world of literature. It's a uh, fictional story about a conversation between um, Marco Polo and Kublai Khan, uh, where Marco Polo is describing all of these cities that he's gone to, and uh, they're all fictional, of course, but they are all these like crazy, like, you know, places that are have advanced technologies or magic or, you know, it's like the, and they're all short. I mean, these, this is more poetry than it is like a novel. It is uh, these mm -hmm. one page descriptions of these cities and these like fantastical things there. Uh, and it's really beautiful. It's, it's a book. I, it's short. It's very short. And it's all these really short poems. But I want to like savor it. So I, I kind of read like one at a time and then just kind of close the book and think about it for a while rather than nice. going through it, which you could also easily do. So I highly recommend Tal Calvino, Invisible Cities. Nice, nice recommendations there. Excellent. So Kat, do you want to go next? Yeah, uh, my just one more thing is a book. Um, I'm currently reading, um, it's called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean of Wong. Um, it's written as a letter from a 20 something year old son to his, uh, Vietnamese mother, essentially going through the family's like past history and trauma, um, that was caused by the Vietnam war. It also touches mm -hmm. base on racism that Asian Americans face, especially coming from like immigrant parents. So it's probably not the kind of book you'll read quickly, but, um, it is beautifully written and it's as poetic as it is heartbreaking. So I, I do recommend still reading it. Nice and nicely said. Okay. And it's called, uh, can you say the title one more time? Yeah, it's called um, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean That's Huang. It. Nice title. All right, cool. Uh, and last but certainly not least, our very own James Pepe. What have you got for us? Yeah, so I don't really have much. This last semester, I've, I was like super busy. I know. Um, but 
uh, I guess I say so. I'm I'm like super late to the to the party with this. I've been finally getting around to watching Better Call Saul, and it's like really Ooh, good. Ooh, yeah. Um, I started watching Slipping it Jimmy. When it, yeah, I started watching it when it was first airing, and um, I think I just kind of thought to myself, like, there's no way this is going to be as good as as Breaking Bad. Um, and I think I'm in the second season or third season now, and it's it's not better than Breaking Bad, but it's at least as interesting. Um, it's consistent it's, too. It's very good, yeah. Um, but plenty of people have told me that it's, uh, you know, may even be better. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm watching um, this semester. I spent like a huge amount of time. Um, reading about this one particular debate that's going on in like current philosophy right now. That's Ooh, lay it on us. Yeah, so like it's this debate that's called the it's like the corruptionism versus the survivalist. So or the corruptionist versus the survivalist. It's a debate that's going on right now in like uh, Thomistic circles. So like people who study Thomas Aquinas, like I do. And the debate is about whether sort of like after you die, if you're still a person or not, or if you're still a human being or not. Um, and some of the debate is around what Thomas Aquinas thinks. And some of it is just sort of about, well, what's the best, what's the true answer here, regardless of what Aquinas thinks. Is this assuming um, an afterlife? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aquinas, he's, okay. a, he's a Catholic. He's a historical Catholic. Yeah, I, I thought so. So he's, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time reading that. And if you're, I mean, if you're listening to this and also happen to be like in, in, interested in the same kind of philosophy that I'm interested in, you've probably already heard this. You're probably not, this probably isn't news to you. Um, but if you haven't looked into it, I hadn't. I had only just, I only just knew about it. But if you're interested in like philosophical anthropology and metaphysics from a medieval point of view and haven't, gone down the rabbit hole on this issue um you should it's really really interesting so sounds yeah. fascinating cool and it's the survivalist versus the corruptionist yeah so corruptionist. Survivalists, survivalists clearly that yeah the they think that the that the person the human being so maybe the human being maybe the person survives your death even when you're right. just a soul the corruptionists don't think that they think that you're, you become some new Something thing else. that's not a person yeah. or not not a human. So, and that's it's very well applied by the into. names. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. I could see that um, for better or for worse. It almost sounds like an MMA yeah. bout in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's interesting because you don't. You oftentimes you don't always find yourself in the middle of these debates where it hasn't really quite been settled, but a lot has been said, and so it's been interesting to sort of like wade into these philosophical debates that are like happening right now. You don't often time. Yeah, that's neat. Do that, so. Yeah, the cutting edge. Well, yeah. feel free to post any kind of stuff into our Discord and uh, I'm happy to listen or watch or read or whatever. Uh, I okay. always love reading about that stuff. Yeah. And so thanks everyone for another round of, of things for me to queue up to check out and take a look at and read and watch and play. And I'm Devin, I'm, as always, I'm jealous of... Uh, you got your new Nintendo over there. I gotta, I gotta keep keep up with the the Joneses here and, and pick me up a new uh, OLED uh, Nintendo and get the new Zelda. Cause it's been too long. 
Yeah, I almost feel like the last one I finished too quick and was wanting more. So you you telling me that there's just like it's kind of endless sounds great to me. So turns out um, that Dorothy is now here replacing Lieutenant Columbo, sadly. I think I'll miss you most of all. Oh, no. Dorothy is letting us know it's time to say goodbye. And I'm not crying. I've just got a little extra wasabi in my sushi roll. No, it's not <laughs> tears, folks. I promise. It's just the end of the show sneaking up on us like the spicy kick of wasabi. It's time to say sayonara. Let's start with Kat. I'm Catherine Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Z's. See you all next time. Indeed. And Devin. I have been Devin Schwartz. You can find me on Tumblr at pandimensionalpanbeatsa.tumblr.com. And game over, man. Game over. Mm-hmm. We've perfected the sushi game, folks. And <laughs> last but certainly not least, my good friend, James Pepe. I have been and still am James Pepe. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming out and listening or watching. And uh, hope to see you back next uh, in, in a fortnight. Yeah, in a fortnight. And it sounds less like you're a corruptionist there if you still are, James Pepe, just to make a little joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't ascended yet, my friend. Good. Stay with us. <laughs> All right. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to smash that like button, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. And today's parting sentiment, as we wrap this show up, just like a delicious sushi roll, yes, I'm making that joke again. Remember, folks, <laughs> whether, whether in life or in the kitchen, it's all about dedication, patience, and passion. If you can dream it, you can sushi it. <laughs> In the future, remember to watch Won't You Be My Neighbor 2018 on Netflix for next time's show. Until then, keep on looking. Uh.